Yo, showtime, showtime! What's going on? Four, three, three two, two, one! Welcome to our show! Hack the planet! Hack, Hack the, the planet! Tunes, chrome jocks, and other assorted weirdos. Uh, welcome to Worry Death Show of the Future, the year of 2023. It is the the year in which it feels like all of those like future dates and 80s films like start to come around. I just wish our dystopia was a little bit more cool and less dreary than it is right now. But anyway, that's not the point. That's not the point. We're here in the in the new year, 2023 of our Lord, or whoever whatever DSC you ascribe to. To talk about Cyberpunk 2077 Edge Runners, or just Cyberpunk Edge Runners, I suppose. Um, which I think is listed in genres as anime and cyberpunk and action and such, but really it should be genre categorized as reputation laundering, and we'll talk about that soon enough. But of course, I'm Shaden, and joining me uh, from across the pond is the Soul Doctor. Hello. Uh, welcome to the future. It is shit. Thank you. Um, happy, <laughs> no, happy to be here, everyone. Hope everyone is doing as well uh, as possible, that you're safe and healthy. And, you know, thanks for uh, for joining us here for this discussion of uh, a very modern anime, which, I mean, we haven't really covered anything super new like this in uh, in a while. We've done some, uh, you know, 90s stuff here recently and, you know, wolf children and things like that. But uh, yeah, it's 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 nice to be um, covering something that uh, all the the new fans uh, and the, and the kids are into and appreciate. Uh, and speaking of things that the kids are into and appreciate, uh, I am very angry at you for the way that you introduced this show because you know that I have uh, <laughs> just such such a, a a bee in my bonnet about. The slang in this show, uh, particularly particularly the word "chum," uh, oh which is, I guess, God. evolved from "chum," uh, and and I, I mean, I, we're gonna say a lot of really nice things about the show, but the the slang can can kick rocks. I I'm not a fan. It feels it feels what uh, one of the only things about the show that feels forced and super cheesy. Uh, but luckily, like as you go on, it kind of. It sort of fades into the background a little bit. 
<laughs> Bachum. Nova. Like, that's the least offensive one is Nova. But Chum is really bad. G- what is it? Gonk? Is Gonk, say, gonk yeah. brain? Well, just because you don't think the neologisms in uh, Cyberpunk is a wider franchise are preem, that's your problem. Preem. Oh. I'm going to spit out my Red Bull on my microphone, which would have been disastrous. That oh. Uh, Preem. I could end the podcast here, people, and this would be just this would just mwah, mwah, chef's kiss. Mm, uh, mm. I, I will say that gonk to me like doesn't really work because I can't take the way that word sounds seriously. It sounds like a comedic noise you'd hear in a Tom and Jerry cartoon. Gonk. No, it feels very caveman lingo as opposed to you know, oh me gonk tiger, and not like you know we're we're. Uh, net runners bro like it seems really out of place but whatever this is a very incidental nitpicky kind of criticism uh and that you goaded me into the very first thing <laughs> and i'm annoyed by it i'm annoyed at you because again i think i think largely this show is going to be a, a positive show uh if i if i'm reading you right i mean I know everyone's talking about like how the video game curse uh, of um, television and film adaptation has finally been overcome, um, which is a lie. Thank, <laughs> thank goodness. You finally yeah. done it. Trigger, trigger did it. Bless. Yeah. <laughs> but God, God bless. And you know what? Like, I, I did really like this show. I, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm just... I'm just taking this moment to have a quick aside of the fact that all it's, of this We know it's around. a lie. We know it's a lie because Shinmu, the anime, came out earlier in 2022 and that in fact broke the curse we all know this what about arcade (laughs) oh heck we've we've covered street fight street Street fighter the movie movie, i know yeah both yeah it's it's a bad it's a bad film but it's a bad film in the way that having a giant triple stack cheeseburger is bad for you it's complete junk, but it's tasty junk at that. But anyway, I was just making a sideways swipe at the Last of Us discussion that's been going on lately. Because for some reason, people think it's like the most incredible thing ever that the Last of Us TV show is good when it's basically a TV, a, a video game that padded itself after Prestige TV has now yeah. become actual Prestige TV, which is utterly unsurprising to me. I don't know why this is a debate. I don't know why it's a discussion. I don't know why it's worthy of merit. I don't know why people seem ignorant of all the other actually good video game prophecies that have come before this. I mean, Castlevania, anyone? I mean, that's a fantastic example, actually. That's one, I mean, I joke about Shinmu and Street Fighter could be, you know, either the animated or live action versions you could debate. I think most people enjoy at least... The first bit of that Castlevania animated series, I think most people would agree that's a success. We just forgot mm-hmm. about it, though. Uh, and that's yeah. okay. But again, it doesn't make for good clickbait if you write <laughs> if no. you write that the Last of Us like is not the lo- most recent like good video game property. So it's yeah. why why do people have to be hyperbolic? I like The Last of Us, but like that stuff like that is just like eye rolly. Because because attention economy engagement. It's the greatest story metrics. ever told in video games, says mm. the director of the show. <laughs> anyway, anyway, we're not here to talk about a zombie apocalypse. Nope. We're instead to talk about Cyberpunk Edge Runners, which is based on a video game, um, but it's in a way that I find really interesting. And I want to point that out in a moment, but I think we should firstly both establish our bona fides with this. Because this is one of those wonderful situations where by quirk of fate, 
I have played Cyberpunk 2077, which was CD Projekt Red's big, like, you know, show-stopping quadruple trillion A, like, piece that came out in, what, late 2020? I didn't play it until, I think, late last year, no, late 2021, actually. Um, once all the bugs, had, or most of the bugs had been worked out, I wasted so it was discounted and there were patches, because early adoption is for fools and suckers. <laughs> um, and you know what? I quite enjoyed it. I think it has its flaws. I think there's some very egregious missed opportunities and also just plain bad video game design decisions that hamper the story a little bit. But it tries. It's ambitious. Um, I think I've mentioned before, though, that the thing I probably hate the most about it is everything that surrounds it rather than the game itself. For example, all of the corporate culture elements I'm not the first person to point out the hypocrisy in CD Projekt Red making a cyberpunk game, given their own corporate practices of involving crunch and such and such, and just their general shittiness. Like, their, their reputation is pretty much tarnished at this point. Like, they're no longer the um, the golden boys uh, of, the, of the video game industry like they were back when Richard 2 came out. Um, so there's certainly that element, which is obvious and apparent, and also something you and I have discussed before on the pod, um, is the fan reaction to it and the fan reaction to people criticizing it or pointing out things like the epilepsy uh, epilepsy warnings that should have been in the game about the brain dance sections. Do you recall us having that discussion? Definitely. Yeah. Um, and I'm going to show more and more hatred for fans as this discussion <laughs> goes along today. Because, um, yeah, I, I feel like... I don't know if it's just the pandemic drove people insane. Well, the answer to that, of course, is it, is it did. Definitely well, did. You know, for as much as I don't care for CD Projekt Red in a number of respects, I also just don't care for the people whose loudest and most ignorant voices rose to the top about this game. Still, It still feels like a shameful moment when people sent that poor lady like epilepsy footage or epilepsy-inducing footage <sighs> uh, because she had the nerve to point out in an article that that could have happened even though, logically speaking, that would be her trying to make sure more people can play it by getting it brought to the attention of CD Projekt Red for patching. Um, it's a very so, modern tale you're telling in which there are no good guys. No. Like I said, our our horrible dystopian future is boring, mundane, cruel, and miserable, and it doesn't have any of the glossy sheen that Cyberpunk does, which is really annoying. Yeah, can we all opt out of it like David and just start shooting fools? I'm starting to now understand his motivations better <laughs> as we talk. I just want a sweet jacket. If I can have a sweet jacket, it'll make my life a little better. But that yeah, was uh, that to- was totally, by the way, a joke on my mm-hmm. part. Just in case anyone is concerned, Doc Doc's lawyers are just whispering in his ear. He probably should <laughs> <I know>. say that. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm more surprised we have lawyers <laughs> in my in my uh, you know brain phone. Or whatever, where I can see the the text messages display on my iris. I've been told <laughs> allegedly, allegedly, allegedly. Yeah, Doc's just got the call thing popping up in his eye. It says, "Don't do that, bro." <laughs> but yeah, um, to to the point. Uh, I have played Cyberpunk Twenty Seven Seven's completion. I've actually done so twice because I'm an idiot. Um, and I played through the first time as male V, and the second time as female V, which was the better time. Uh, because in that time I decided to romance Judy, who's a far more interesting romance uh, partner than Pan Am Palmer is. Um, 
And you, Doc, on the other hand, though, you've played Cyberpunk 27 for a subtotal of, if I'm not mistaken, somewhere in the ballpark of zero hours. I watched the Tim Rogers video. I, that was going to come inevitably. It. That was going to come up uh, inevitably. Good old and, Tim and I've Rogers. seen I've seen some gifts of like cars flying backwards, you know, cutting through people and shit like that. But no, I've never um, I've never played the game. I've, you you it's old hat. I mean, anyone who's listened to the show could probably tell you the top three reasons why I've never played this video game. Uh, though it just is not something that traditionally has spoken to me. Uh, but that doesn't mean there's nothing good in it, uh, as I'm sure you're about to. Well, at some point you will tell us. Mm-hmm. Also, you, I think last time I checked, you don't have a PS5, or you haven't had a PS5 for quite a while. Uh, I got mine over the summer, mm-hmm. so I do have one. Um, but well, you could play it on that... PS4, correct? <laughs> 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 oh, I, I see. I see. Okay, so you want to avoid that at all costs. I mean, insofar as like you could say that you're, you know, when you're at work and you're in meetings, you're technically playing a PowerPoint. Yes. Mm. Um, the technical difficulties on the PS4 version was so profound that it was taken off sale oh, and has right. never returned. Oh, really? Yeah. Re- to my the- knowledge, wait a it minute. has never come back. I think it's back because I have a friend who's playing it on PlayStation and he does not own a uh a ps5 though maybe he bought a physical uh edition i think when i say that it was taken off sale on psn specifically that's what i'm saying i mean he usually buys his games digitally uh but you know maybe you can buy yours so it says so i'm looking at the ps store entry now and it does say ps4 ps5 oh well that surprised me i thought it was taken off permanently I know I knew my so my buddy doesn't I don't think he buys physical games too much and he he usually is like a digital sale guy. So that's the only reason I know. Uh is because I know he's been telling me he's been playing it over the last few months. Like Fair you enough. over and over again. And like you, he really likes it now that it's been fixed. G- good. Good for him. I'm glad I'm glad he's having a good time. I'm glad he didn't buy it on launch for PS4. Oof. <laughs> <laughs> and even though I was wrong in the fact that it has now gone back on sale again, the the video game itself still, was indeed taken off sale, I mean, which is pretty unprecedented. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty egregious. Yep. So suffice to say, Cyberpunk 2077 um, is not been without its controversies, both the ones generated by the company that made it and by the fandom that surround it. Um which overall, I think, probably took away a lot of its thunder. I think that if you'd given it maybe another year in the in development, which is not going to happen because, again, capitalism, irony of ironies, given it's a cyberpunk game, supposedly, um, it would have probably come out in a pretty good state and people would have liked it a lot more. But I don't think there's any such one-year correction for the general shittiness, idiocy, and ignorance of people playing it. Um, which will be relevant when I talk about some of the themes of what Edge Runners is about and also how they tie into the themes or the ideas <laughs> of the game itself. Because I remember one particularly uh, egregious comment about some chap saying, or finding out that there was an apartment uh, in Night City that V could not buy, V being mm-hmm. the main character, um, which is like a really fancy like upscale apartment. 
It's the one that you see in one of the endings. It's the one you see David and uh, Lucy move into in the story of Edrunners. Uh, it's the exact same layout. Deliberate homage to that in the video game. People are like, why can't we buy them? Like, did you not play the game? Did, did you not pay attention to what was happening in the game and that it was a story in which you don't get what you want? Do you not understand what the media is in front of you? Do you want to go back to playing Call of Duty? Yeah, I have no patience for that kind of shit anymore. I, I will not be kind to fans in this. Believe me, I'll be can very we kind patch, to the show. Can we patch the fan base? Can we? Can I think, we? Can we? Hack I think the you brain? just said we. I think you just said we couldn't do that. Sadly, so. no. Can can we hack the mind space? Mm. Well, but it's all empty. It's just a cloud of nothing. <laughs> <laughs> oh Christ! But of course, all that talk about CD Projekt Red. And the creator, and of course, Cyberpunk 2077. There are other creators we need to mention, but there's one I'm going to bring up before you, Doc, start talking about the anime itself that's going to be relevant to something we're going to talk about later. And that is, of course, Mike Pondsmith. Yes. If you've actually watched Edge Runners, his name is mentioned in the credits. He's the chap who created the role-playing game, the tabletop role-playing game, that formed the basis of 2077. He's made it, I think, something like... How long ago was it? Uh, oh, it's 1988. Uh, yeah, I was going to say, because I actually have played this game in college. Uh, oh, the same, right. Yeah, my same friend I was talking about that uh, has 77 for the PS4. It was actually the DM for this session of uh, Cyberpunk we played, in which I was a rocker boy, uh, if you must know. Of course. My, my class, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Can't, couldn't be troubled being, being a fixer. Wanted to be a rocker boy. Nah, you you wanted to get right into the uh, the rocking and the rolling. Yes, spread the message of uh, anti corporate uh, love. <laughs> mm-hmm. So yeah, Mike Pondsmith is worth bringing up. He was the creator of the um, tabletop rule set that formed the basis of Cyberpunk twenty seventy seven. It's gone through a number of revisions over the decades. Um, I'm breaking him up now for two reasons. One of which I'm going to tell you right away, which is this isn't technically a spin-off of the video game, but I think it's actually probably one of the most uniquely well-placed spin-offs of video games that you are ever going to get because the video game itself was based on a tabletop role-playing game in which people were encouraged to craft their own adventures. I don't think it would be too difficult, given the right like work, to turn Edge Runners the anime into a campaign you could run in Cyberpunk the tabletop game. Funnily enough, because all of the rules and such like are there, all the items, all the iconography, all the lingo, much to your oh, my friend, my friend. In November, they have announced that they are adding an Edge Runners expansion to the the tabletop game. Well, there we go. But capitalism does not miss a trick. (laughs) Uh, How can it? How can it? Um, I mean, but it's something kind of poetic about that. That this spinoff is basically triggering CD Projekt Red, just using the same space set of environments, you know, visuals and such to create a new story. It kind of works really well. Uh, The second point about uh, Mike Pondsmith, I'll bring up later when I talk about a quote he gave about this specific anime um, and a characteristic around the lead character, David, but we'll get to that much further down the line. Mm, That's interesting. So I probably haven't read that quote. Um, the one I was going to bring up is that he really, really likes, it seems, that the anime. And, you know, this was a a single quote, so I don't know his sort of nuanced take on it. But he was basically like, they they totally captured my vision. So, good on Trigger. 
I think yeah, I think that's uh I think that's definitely like something that he should be proud of, like to see this come alive. Um from my understanding though, just to be clear, while Trigger certainly created the anime, I think the script work was um from a CD Project Red staff member or staff members, uh, a scripting committee or something to that effect, that kind of structure. Um and that plays into how the anime comes across, uh what it how it's written, how the characters speak, because this is certainly in visuals in many ways, definitely a trigger show. You'll spot it a mile off. Um, but it is very much not a trigger show in terms of what it's about and how the material is handled. So what you say um, is not, not exact. I mean, it's, it's right, but it's, I'll, I'll amend it. I'll, I'll give it an update here. Um, so the scripts for the episodes and stuff were written by, studio trigger people um oh really looks like mm -hmm. yeah so the storyboards and the scripts were written by Masahiro Otsuka and Yoshiki Usa but the original sort of like concept um the original creators are credited as Pondsmith and then uh Raphael Jockey that's the the chap I was thinking of and then the original story uh is credited to uh Bartas oh boy uh <laughs> Bartots, um, S Z T Y B O R. She's I can't. I I apologize to this. I'm going to give a quick shout to one of our perennial listeners and good friends, Yukinon, because he is Polish, uh, if I'm not mistaken. Um, right. And CD Projekt Red is a Polish company, and mm-hmm. he is probably screaming. He's. Oh, I've probably pained him. I'm and, so sorry, Yuki. I, uh, I'm so sorry too. Yeah. Yeah, but those those folks are like that they are credited with like I said the original creation and the original story from a kind of overarching perspective. Ah, right. That explains it. I was obviously going off the way the credits presented it um in the opening of the show. So that's where my um flaw perspective came from. But thank you for clarifying that, doc. Um, oh, so no. Well, listen, my my uh, source here is Anime News Network. Um, if the show itself says that, I mean, we can we can go with what the show lists. Maybe I missed it. It did, it did, But um, <laughs> I'm bringing I'm bringing it out before we start talking about trigger craves because in the run up to us talking about this, I had a long think about how I feel about trigger generally speaking because we've actually. I've collectively watched or talked about a lot of their works over the years on Warrior Death Show. Um, I mean, I've watched, for example, Kill the Kill. Uh, I've watched that show, which I'm not going to name because every time I do, I feel like there's just going to be someone who... It's like the noise, the alarm that goes off in QI every time someone mentions like the wrong answer that's like the really obvious right one. I'm not going to bring it up. You know which one it is. You know which one I'm talking about. Um, I, of course, have watched Promare. Um, we also did, of course, Brand New Animal, which on well, Netflix production actually, but I think more yeah. in in the vein of like they had complete creative control over that one rather than kind of being contracted for hire, you know, for this for Cyberpunk. Um, what else have I ever seen of theirs? I'm sure there's some other stuff that you've seen. Up, but anyway. Grid Gridman and Dinosaur. Oh, of course, of course. 
I can't believe I forgot um, those. I feel I yeah. feel ashamed of that. Another, but, yeah. uh, it, but you know, you talked about BNA, uh, a, a Yo-Yo Shinare directed work that I think you're a lot more positive on is Little Witch nope. Academia. Oh, fa- oh, thank no, God, Little, yes, Little Witch, uh, Little <laughs> Witch. Oh, I, yeah. I mean, um, oh yes, I've, I have seen the first season of Little Witch. Yes, you're right. Yeah, um, the, the 25 episodes is the only season. If I'm, uh, there's like some OVAs and stuff that preceded the the TV show. But I think no, it's I'm only sure a, a single season. I think it might possibly be two seasons, but like it splits down the middle. So I see. I see. Gotcha. It's gotcha, semantics, gotcha. anyway. It doesn't matter. But um, the thing is, right, let, let me be honest about how I feel about Trigger. Like, And I, I think I've come up with the perfect catch-all phrase for this. Trigger are, generally speaking, great at visuals, but they're really poor at optics. That might sound like that they're the same thing, and I'm contradicting myself, but I'll explain. The flair that they have, the sense of style, the fact that they have their own iconic, like, poses or gestures, one of which comes up at the end of this show, funnily enough, which we'll talk about when we get to it. Uh, it's not the arm-folding one, though, but that is certainly one of them. Like, you can tell a trigger show a mile off. You you can see it from, like, just a couple of frames and immediately mark that that's what it is. When it comes to optics, I think sometimes when Trigger deal with politically charged material, um, they do a really bad job on occasion of understanding what they're dealing with. This, of course, refers back to Brand New Animal, which we covered, and I absolutely hated it at the end. I thought the final episode of that was one of the most egregiously awful things I'd ever seen because it basically implied that minority uh, ethnic minorities were genetically prone to violence. Which was a bit shit, in awesome. my opinion. Yeah. Uh, that's floating around on our YouTube somewhere, by the way. So do feel free to have a listen to that when I get really angry. Um, but another example I'll cite is Kill the Kill. That's in the, because, that's in the podcast feed as well. Yeah. Uh, yeah so we, covered, Kill, we covered that one uh, episodically. Sorry, that go we ahead. did. Yeah. So in, in Kill the Kill, I remember this clear as day. Kill the Kill opens with, I can't remember the guy's name, but you all know who it is, uh, talking about the Nazis. And then it turns out, oh no, uh, you know, Kirin Satsuki's running the school like a fascist dictatorship. Like, it's not even a case of, like, me bringing up the Nazis as an easy comparison. That's the literal regime they cite in that. <laughs> he cites in that. But does it not also strike you as kind of a bit shady that in the end it turns out Kirin Satsuki's running her fascist regime in order to stop a secret society of wealthy people who are running the world in the background, who are also queer-coded? Stop. Listen. I can't... I can't deal with this right now. I haven't seen Kill a Kill in such a long time. <laughs> My memories of it are very positive, and also that it seemed uh, to support some politically progressive ideas but these are my memories of it and i won't have you tarnish them any longer okay uh, you- <laughs> I, I i will once again quote famous uh academian uh you know historian and philosopher of truth drill um you do not got to hand it to them when it comes to the nazis to paraphrase you definitely don't you definitely don't no um, no and that but the thing is i reason i said about optics is i don't think that was intentional on their part in the same way that i will be generous and say that i don't think the problems in bna were intentional on trigger's part but that's why again why i'm talking about optics they well probably what had I, an idea. I just want to see like so 
well, back when H Bomber Guy used to answer curious cat questions, I believe it was H Bomber Guy. And when, and when um, he wasn't stuck, like struggling with pancakes. Yes, yes. Uh, he he talked about that he wanted to do a video of a uh, a Marxist reading of Kill the Kill, and uh, Ooh. I'm still waiting for that. <laughs> I still want that very badly. And I under like when he said, it, I'm like, well, like absolutely, like I totally see kind of the building blocks for how you would make that case. Um, but listen, ultimately. I think that they their heart might be in the right place when they try on things like in Kill Kill, like in BNA, like in Cyberpunk here. Um, but sometimes, you know, they just that's not enough. Uh, they they could flub it up in the in the execution. Yeah, that's why and I meant the, that's the, why I was uh, the implications that are unforeseen. Uh, yep. Hence in, in why I said great at visuals, bad at optics. Yeah. Except Inferno Cop. That's the one unimpeachable oh, yeah, work yeah. they've ever done. Oh, <laughs> Inferno Cop is the greatest work of art ever committed to, like, you know, to, to the world by man. And it by, pro- by proxy, ex- it Andy. is. And, and by proxy, that makes Space Patrol Luluco uh, a, a nigh-perfect work for, because of its relationship to Inferno Cop. I still need to watch that, to be fair. Uh, but anyway, it's very, it's very good. I've talked about all that long, you know, so I'll move over to you, Doc, to talk about the creatives. Mm. Sure, sure. So um, we've mentioned a couple of the folks that I re- wanted to mention uh, originally, so I'm going to close some tabs here. And now we're going to talk about uh, some folks on the trigger side that were involved. Uh, first one we need to bring up is Hiroyuki Imaishi, who... Uh, you know, longtime fans will know uh, who started directing uh, when, you know, before Trigger existed. You know, he was still in the employ of Gainax when he directed uh, Tengen Topo Garin Lagan, which for my money, it's like up there with Premiere. And they're hard to compare in some ways because it's a TV show and a film. But like... I think that still might be my favorite thing that he's directed. Um, mm-hmm. But that wasn't, you know, he was directing, he was he was working on weird stuff like uh, Dead Leaves uh, before, before that. But then, you know, after uh, sometime in like the early part of the 2010s, uh, you know, they, uh, he split, he and a bunch of people split from Gynax. Gynax is basically a, uh, a file cabinet at this point with uh with a folder that says gunbuster 3 on it um and that that's kind of it uh a, a lot of the the people went to trigger a lot of the people went to kara um but uh but yeah so you know uh yoshinari has done kill a kill which we talked about he directed uh Promare, which we talked about he uh, Space Patrol Luluko, he directed. Um, and I think if you look at all of his work, you will see sort of, you know, you talked about like Trigger sort of has a hallmark. Um, yes. I think I think more than anyone at Trigger, um, Imaishi has that that kind of hallmark. I think a lot of the things that people sort of say, this is a studio Trigger thing, those things are... Hiroyuki Imaishi things because I think people like Yoshinari 
Like you wouldn't look at if you didn't know Little Witch Academia, the TV show with Studio Trigger. I don't know if you would know it was just by you know what I mean? If you just watched it and didn't consult the Internet. Am I crazy or or, or cause, I mean, it's animated really well. I don't mean to like besmirch the show in any way. It's just not sort of oozing machismo like a lot of uh, Maishi works tend to be. And that's the sort of stuff I think that Trigger is has a reputation for. Yeah, I mean, from my perspective, like, it feels that there's, I know this might sound paradoxical given the content of the show itself, but it feels like there's a kind of almost restraint to it. And I think a lot of that is probably to do with them being given the way things look and how it's meant to handle. Uh, probably a lot of reference to Serious the Game, of course, as well. Um, there's one particular example I'll bring up where I thought things look really wonky, actually, but it's only a minor thing anyway. Um but there, like, there is still, I say, a trigger hallmark in there. There's one at the very end of the show, I think. It's not, as I say, the hand-holdy, like, sorry, the arm-foldy one. Uh, but it's something else. But I'll point out when we get to it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I still think that, I mean, the character of Rebecca alone, I think, feels very triggery. I must say. Oh, yeah, no, I was talking about Little Witch. I think... Uh, oh, sorry, I missed her. Yeah. Apologies. No, no, no. I was saying if you didn't have the internet to look up Little Witch Academia, you might not know that was a trigger show. Um, Mm. cyberpunk absolutely like no doubt it's an imaishi thing like it is it is it it displays his like adrenaline fueled pace and style and the the way the characters move a lot of the time just it just feels very imaishi very trigger um in 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 all the ways uh that Mm -hmm. you might think are good and you might think are bad but in, in all the ways um so I want to also mention Masahiko Otsuka, who uh, is one of the script writers for the show. Um, Otsuka, a- another like Gainax OG, who was like, you know, directing episodes of Neon Genesis Evangelion. Um, that's kind of how far he goes. Oh, God, he directed episodes of Now and Then, Here and There. Ooh. Ooh. Oh, that show, man. God, that is a brutal anime. That is, uh, man, I want to compare it to this show in certain ways, but I don't want to get too far ahead of myself. But that show, that one is one that I think maybe if you're into Gundam Thunderbolt and the way that it makes you feel at the end, you might like now and then here and there. It is some bleak ass shit. Um <laughs> So storyboards for premiere for Otsuka, planning for both Gridman shows, directed that Star Wars Visions thing that came out. That oh, yeah, really that liked. was a thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, remember, remember that? Um, also, the trigger show that every single person on planet Earth forgets is a trigger show, unless they're looking at the wiki, when supernatural battles become commonplace. Because, again, like, I, I, I'm going to tell the story again because... It it is. I remember it so vividly. I watched Kill a Kill as it was coming out. Loved it. Super into it. All jazzed up. I'm like, hell yeah. Trigger is a thing. They have ported everything that I liked about Gurren Lagan over from Gainax, and they are going to just rock the world. What are they doing next? And then this thing comes out, which is so <laughs> such light novel otaku bay. You know what I mean? It just and it's it's not really you know it's uh, Otsuka is the writer and chief director. Uh, so 
Yeah, I don't know, man. That that's kind of a forgettable one. Um, but it, I'm sure it has, you know, its audience. But anyway, Otsuka uh, worked on the scripts. Oh, he wrote the screenplays for some Darling in the Franks episodes. Oh, wait a minute, I wasn't supposed uh, to say that. Oh, sorry, cut that, cut that. Beep. <laughs> um, want to talk about uh, the aforementioned Yo Yoshinari because uh, he is the character designer for Cyberpunk Edge Runners, and he is also uh, the chief animation director. Which, according to um, the Sakuga blog maestro uh, Kevin, uh, is a, a rarer thing these days than it used to be. And so, what does it mean, right, when I say he's the chief animation director? Uh, we've talked about animation directors on the show before, how they are are meant to take all the cuts in a single episode and make sure uh, that they have a uniform look and style because you're getting animation from a lot of different uh, people and sources, sometimes in different parts of the world. And so you might have to do some smoothing over uh, to um, to make everything look like uh, more singular. Uh, but the chief animation director then is is responsible for that sort of he's like one rung up in the in the pyramid. Uh, so he looks at everything turned in by the animation directors and for the entire show is meant to to make and he's looking at things that have already been checked. Uh, but he's meant to make sure he's like the last sort of stop uh in, in the chain of like, okay, does all this stuff reflect a similar singular look? Is it true to like the original character designs and stuff? Mm. And when you have a chief animation director that's different from a character designer, I, I think you can have a lot of issues there. But since Yoshinari was the character designer himself, and he was also the one checking everything at the last stop to make sure it was faithful to his designs. I mean, I think that that's, that seems to like work really, really well. Um, and that just makes sense to me. Um, mm. So yeah, he's, he's the, the way the characters look. Uh, and ultimately, you know, he didn't do the cuts, but like you could still give him a lot of credit for like the way they move, I think. Um, mm. And one final person I wanted to shout out was Yukiko Kakita and Kakita, uh, is the color designer for edge runners. Uh, and I think that this person uh, deserves props because like, because of the props in the show, the, and, and the way everything in the show pops and there's so much color. I love the color palette. I love the bright yellows and pinks and greens. Um, everything is, is, neon and bold um but it never got to the point for me where it felt like uh incoherent you know what i mean um it never got to the point where it felt too cluttered or uh just became illegible or something like that so but but just yeah. the i think the color design in the show uh is is so good and uh kakita uh, was also the color designer for uh, Bubuki Buranki, uh, a show from a few years ago now that no one talks about, but that I enjoyed. It was a CG mecha show. It's kind of, it's kind of a weird thing. 
Um, <laughs> he uh, did some special effects on Etika Seven. Um, hey, hey. Uh, let's see. I know there was uh, so color design for the Little Witch Academia movie uh, and the TV show. So got this person picking out a lot of color palettes. Um, color design for. Um, uh, Osamatsu-san, which is a show that I've, uh, it's particularly season two, I should say, uh, is a show I've always thought had an incredible, incredible color palette and great color design. Um, and uh, Premiere, a, a little little work called Premiere, uh, was the color designer there as well. So um, they brought in uh, a ringer to do, to do the color design for this show. Um, and so those are the people I wanted to shout out, but there's a ton of other talented people that worked on this. You know, if you um, really like the show, uh, you like particular episodes, you know, you can look up particular storyboarders. There's like, uh, you know, half a dozen storyboarders. There's uh, half a dozen episode directors. There's one, two, three. I'm going to do the the stupid uh, Mike Francesa thing. One, two, three, four, five, <laughs> six, seven, eight, nine. There's like a dozen or more animation directors uh, that Yoshinari was supervising. Um, and you can go and look at the credits to see what episode they did. You'd be like, oh man, this guy or gal, I'm going to follow their work. And definitely encourage you to do that. Fair play. Um, I'm just going to bring up also on the creative side, let's talk about some voice actors for a bit. Um, on the Japanese end, uh, the character of Lucy is voiced by veteran uh, voice actress Aoyuki, who you've mm-hmm. probably heard of just by name. I mean, the list of stuff on her Wikipedia entry is ridiculous. Uh, I'm fairly confident she's voiced at least five different Guilty Gear characters. She was the voice of Futaba <laughs> in Persona 5, for example, which is uh, quite appropriate given what we're talking about today. Yeah, there's a there's a ton of crap here. Um, of course, I'd also be remiss if I didn't bring up uh, the voice of Rebecca um, in Japanese. It's, uh, that is, um, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, Tomayo Kurosawa who has done also a ton of stuff, most notably Foss from um, mm. Land of the Lustrous, uh, cool. and of course Kumiko from uh, Sound Euphonium. But then Ooh. I want to also, I also want to bring up like the flip side and talk about English voice acts briefly. Did you, this, did you watch any of the show in English? No, I watched it all subbed. Okay, so I watched a couple episodes of the dub. I thought it was like, I thought it was all right. Like it was while I was working out, like I was watching on a screen that wasn't very big. And so I didn't want to read the subtitles and I did not hate the dub. I thought it was it was good. Well, I'm going to mention one particular person here. Faraday, who's a fixer in the show, is voiced in English by Giancarlo Esposito. (laughs) I had no idea. That's amazing. That's so good. I mean, can I... Can I point out, right, like, that Giancarlo Esposito, like, what for one legitimately talented actor, of yeah. course, who you probably from know as Far Gus Cry. from... from <laughs> yes, for, for, but of course from Breaking Bad and The Boys as well. And I'm just thinking, how much money must have they had behind producing Edrunners to be able to get him on board? Because that mm. man does not work for cheap. It's true. That's cra- it's crazy. And the thing is, like, Faraday is an important character to the story, but I wouldn't call him a critical one. He's, he, like, events happen because of him, but the story is not about him. 
He's in less than half the show, I'm pretty sure, screen time wise. (laughs) But maybe that explains how you were able to get him on board, but still, that's crazy. He did it in between between Far Cry takes. (laughs) He did Faraday. What Far Cry game is it? Is it 6 that he's in? It's not 6. It's a newer one, isn't it? I I don't know. It's not primal, I know that much. He's not playing a caveman. (laughs) Thank goodness. But otherwise, I don't know, and I I don't care, because Far Cry is a franchise I couldn't give a fig leaf about. (laughs) Indeed. (laughs) Oh, dear. But I mean, yeah, if you're going to have anyone play like a guy who's like a criminal like mastermind, you could do a lot worse. (laughs) Yeah, not bad. Not bad. I've got a t-shirt, actually, of... uh... Of his his restaurant from uh, from Breaking Bad, it was it was a gift, but I still enjoy and wear that T shirt. Los Polos Chuma- Chumanos, that, uh, Hermanos, Pollos Hermanos. Yes, the Chicken Brothers. <laughs> I also thought you were about to say you just had a C shirt of his face. <laughs> 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 yeah, yeah, that's my next one. Is like uh, like uh, just his giant face emblazoned on the front of it, like uh, like Tupac shirts I've seen at the mall. Yeah, Giancarlo T-shirt, Bazizo. Uh, um, anyway, so I've said everything. I mean, you, uh, do you have anything more you want to add on the creatives, or should we move on? Uh, I th- well, let me see. So I think we can move on, except like so. Um, gosh, uh, there's not. I don't think there's like a single person that we can credit for the music of the show. Um, ANN has music by um, Akira Yamaoka, uh, but I don't know if, I mean, there's some licensed stuff in the, at least the opening is, you know, Franz Ferdinand. So thank you, Franz Ferdinand, for, for being, for being awesome. Uh, <laughs> but I don't know, like, if Yamaoka did the rest of the music or whatever, but just the music in general of, of the show, I think, should be praised for, like, sort of not playing to type all the time but still sounding mm. like very very like fitting for what was happening on screen because it's not well, just all you know i think gogo made this comment in our in our discussions like it's not all just like you know the prime thanatos mix it's not all like new retro wave youtube channel stuff it's um it's a, the, well, gen- have, the genres are diverse i i have three points to make to that a, a full three um the first of which is I actually did warm up to Franz Ferdinand being the opening song for the uh, for the show, even though it felt like a very much like a Hideo Kojima picking the ending song to Metal <laughs> Gear Solid 3 scenario, where he got sent the wrong one and went with it anyway. Because. Uh, but yeah, I warmed up to that. Two, I think most of the music, with the exception of the song um, I Want to Stay at Your House, or I Really Want to Stay at Your House, um, by uh, Rosa Walton, is actually music from the game. It's all music from... Because Cyberpunk 2077 is an open-world game, and so there are radio stations. Um, right. There is also there's also actually, like, combat music, for example, as well. I, a lot figured, of music I, I figured it was that, and, like, there was some sort of, like, score that Yamaoka did for, like, you know, scenes where people are just talking or something like that. Yeah, but a lot of the music that plays over those scenes is just lifted straight from the radio stations, Mm. Uh, which Mm. is fine because the music in the game is really good, in my opinion. And thirdly, I can't recall which particular CD project member or staff member went on record saying this, but 
I think in some of the pre-release material for the actual video game itself, they did state they wanted to make sure that the music that was available for people to pick from wasn't all just synthwave. That it was tempting to go all in on that because it would be easy, but just because it's the future doesn't mean everyone listens to the same kind of music. You'd have as diverse a musical culture then as you would today, just with a different flavour to it, I suppose. And given that Night City itself, where the game and the series are set, is a very multicultural place. I mean, you've got like um, the Voodoo Boys, who are Haitian, for example, or primarily Haitian gang members. Uh, you've got, um, I can't remember the name of the gang itself, there's one that's Mexican or like Latin, uh, Latin American, generally speaking. You, yeah, you've got a, a heady mix of ethnicities and cultures flowing in here. Um, so there's no wonder that the music similarly reflects that. Uh, for sure. That's thank you for adding that that good detail uh, that I who have not played the game didn't know. Um, and I think with that, like we can go on to questions from our discord. But first, I think we should take a short break. Romeo Cronell looked like the wise old English bulldog in a Disney animated pet movie. <laughs> Does Sage Steele look like the persistent flight attendant who will not budge until you switch your smartphone to airplane mode? Does Matt Nagy look like the third runner-up on Last Comic Standing who's coming to your local comedy club next Thursday night? Does Arthur Blank look like the famous prized art thief who gets persuaded by his old crew to do one last heist? Does Gardner Minshew sound like the 14 seed that's about to upset Georgetown in the first round of the NCAA tournament? Or does Gardner Minshew look like the local tennis pro who's actively dating three wealthy women over the age of 75? And God, I have a bulldog too. Oh my God. Does Adam Silver <laughs> look like the friendly plastic spoon in a children's book who teaches children about the importance of recycling? I was a PA on a, on an Arnold Schwarzenegger movie called Collateral Damage, and uh, and that was the big line in that movie was open up the door, there's a bomb in there. <laughs> The first time I met him, the first time I met him, I go, uh, he comes up to me and he, he had his cigar in his, in his mouth and he goes, uh, what is Jeff and Peter? That's his hair and makeup guys. Yeah. And I go, uh, I, I, I don't know, I'll find them. And he goes, find them. Show me your leadership capabilities. Ikuzo. <laughs> <laughs> 
Alright, we're back. So we're going to follow the usual format here. We're going to do like a little bit of a non-spoilery uh, plot summary and just general feelings about the show. We've got some Discord questions to go through and then we're going to go through juicy, meaty, full-fat talking points. Excellent, bring Bring it. Bring it. So, plot summary. Uh, it's the future and the future sucks. So does the present, but, well, this is fiction, so just wanted to clarify that, just in case anyone thought that it might have changed the bear. Um, but this is indeed the future, the year 2076, not 77, because the events of this show take place before the events of the video game, even though both are in canon. Um, so, oh. our plot sent... Well, sorry. Well, that... that <laughs> We're in the non-spoilery section, of course, so you feel free to be as vague as you want to an answer to this question but is um is one adam smasher in the video game yes oh well that's kind of cool i'm into that okay put, put carry on oh I, I i put put a pin in about adam smasher because i'm gonna talk about him a little bit later on not not a great deal but i'm gonna bring him up great Trust pro me. wrestling name <laughs> he would have been better off as a pro wrestler actually he rather than have. doing like you know chump work for a uh, mm -hmm. mega corporation but anyway yeah there was an um, adam bomb uh but i i, I kind of like adam smasher more than adam bomb personally <laughs> uh right so it's the year 2076 and it take the story takes place in night city uh named because it's partly because it's cool but partly because that's what the mayor's name who found it was but anyway that's not really relevant mr knight story folks yeah, his name was literally Mr. Knight. Oh, oh, that's, that's, why that's, found, great. that's what you find that's why you find out in the video game. Like his name was something like Nathan Knight or some crap like that. <laughs> that's great. But anyway. Um but anyway, story focuses around David Martinez, um, who he is your fairly typical um teenager, admittedly one living in a cyberpunk future city. Um uh, he if you want like a fairly close like comparison point, at least as far as where they start off is concerned i would actually go with miles morales pre-spider-man powers similar yeah. sort of thing going yeah. you know doesn't quite doesn't quite fit in doesn't really belong anywhere is attending a flashy like upscale school uh those parents are or in this case his mom because his dad is not around uh is eager to get see him you know take fruit to fullest flower um i would say but, david is in the, his family seems to be a little bit more on the brink than the moraleses but but I think I'm just referring on, specifically. Really. I'm referring to the character, not necessarily totally, the force. totally. Yeah, I'm with so, you. So, so um, basically, what happens is that um, we learn very quickly that David is dissatisfied, disaffected with having to do the work at um, this academy, which is run by Arasaka. Arasaka is like one of the biggest mega corporations in Night City, if not the biggest. They're also the principal antagonists of the video game. So. One thing I want to make clear, even though this is not spoilery as such, uh, is that if you've played the video game, there is quite a lot of references to, um, or quite a lot of there are quite a lot of references to things that are in the video game. But thankfully, the show itself does a good job of explaining who or what all these things are in a way that's meaningful. Or for things that are more like fan servicey, blinking, you miss it stuff. It's only there very briefly. You don't need to have played the video game to understand the story of Edge Runners. It's all it's explained pretty well um but after having basically been involved in 
completely blowing all of the school's like network systems apart through selling some illegal uh like brain dance material brain dances are basically virtual reality simulations um because as i say david disaffects and all that like he's noisy grade a student he uh does this little bit of illegal activity on the side just to make some quick cash um he is threatened with expulsion and his mother gloria is driving him home and they are attacked well, completely incidentally, as it turns out, because the um, there are gangs in Night City, and this one uh, that um, they get caught in the crossfire of is called the Animals. They're attacking um, a corporate uh, vehicle that's passing by, and although the private insurance like paramilitary group uh, called Trauma Team turn up to save the guy in the com in the corpo convoy, um, they don't help Glory at all because she's not insured and. She subsequently dies. But what happens is that David manages to finally get back to their rented apartment, which has been locked out because Night City um, is ultra, ultra capitalist to the point where Gloria's ashes are not even cold before he is being offered a cremation package. God, like, it's, there's no sensitivity whatsoever, which is going to be a key point of uh, the themes of the show, funnily enough. Um, but he finds out that Gloria had actually kept a hold of a certain cyberware modification, which we had seen being used by a chap in the opening minutes of the very first episode named, uh, I think it's James or something like that. Um, Norris. It, who yeah. was James Norris, who was uh, attacking, who was like, basically on a psychotic killing spree, but he was ultimately uh, taken down by MaxTac, uh, basically Night City's like ultra-enhanced uh, SWAT unit. Uh, but he was using a device called the Sandivistian. Uh, the Sandivistian is a reflex boost that allows you to basically move really fast, uh, but not bullet in a way time. where you sort bullet time, basically, yeah. And you can do it on demand. Um, or which time. So, Whichever flavor oh, which of action game you prefer. Miller time? <laughs> nah, not Miller <laughs> That's time. only you. No one, that's, that's your brain. No, no, <laughs> no one likes Miller time. Um, but... With nothing else really to do, like all completely out of options because, like, you know, his brother's passed away. He's basically been flunked out of the academy. Um, and David decides, you know what? The guy who was selling me all those <clears throat> illegal brain dance uh, VR simulations that screwed up my school's computer, you know what would be great? If I got to install the Sandivistian on me, why the fuck not? How could, how could this possibly go wrong? But it turns out it actually works. He takes to it really well. And as a result of that, like, he starts trying to turn his life around a little bit. He doesn't really go to the academy anymore, but ends up getting involved with a woman named Lucy, who he meets on the Night City um, public transit system, um, who gets him involved in with her basically stealing credit chips from people on the, uh, on the train. And that's where the story really starts. And from that point, things spiral out of control rather quickly, um, this is only a 10-episode show, after all. Yeah. But suffice to say that while David and Lucy do indeed get become closer, uh, he starts to go a bit overboard. Um, he gets involved with um, a group of cyberpunks, or edge runners in this case, hence the title of the show, led by a chap named Maine, who I think is possibly... I think he weighs half a metric ton of solid <laughs> steel, and I don't think it's possible for him to fit through doors. Yeah. <laughs> The, uh, it, w- it would make Barrett, you know, jealous and afraid. Yeah, he, he he is he is capital H hench. This guy, swole. 
Beefy. Or whatever word is. I mean, I know you're not a fan of lingo, but I'm going to use that as well. I like I like lingo. Just that occurs naturally in the world. Not from a writer's room. Anyway. Oh, come on. Are you sure you can't forgive it, given that it was written in, like, the late 80s originally? This, are you, is it also from that, the book? Yeah. Oh, shit. I didn't know that. Oh, bollocks. I, I guess. Whatever. <laughs> great. That was supposed to be grudging. Yes, Whatever. I've ever heard you say. <laughs> but yeah, um, things start going a bit sideways over time, mostly because of something that's called cyberpsychosis, um, which has nothing to do with like you going nuts, but in chat rooms, but rather <laughs> um, someone who has too much cyber, too many cyber implants installed, starts to lose their sense of self and gradually goes insane. Um, I'll not say any more than that at this point. Other than to say that that James Norris chap we mentioned before, the guy who originally had the sand of his skin, that's what happened to him. And uh, David at one point ends up, I think actually, in fact, the entire framing device of how we see this events with James is that David is watching a brain dance of da- of James killing all the cops. Um, a snuff film, basically. Whoops. Yeah, uh, oops. Um that could count as foreshadowing, depending on your perspective. Let's just put it sure. that way. Ugh. But yeah, that's really the setup for it. Um, it's kind of like a really standard opening story, I suppose, which is fitting given its origin as a tabletop role-playing um, game. In that, you know, down-and-out person trying to find their way in a violent, like, ultra-criminal, ultra-corporate city, wanting to, be, you know, become self-sufficient, become known, um wanting to seek retribution for his mother, that kind of thing. It's very standard classic stuff. And that's not a bad thing, I should stress. Um, But it ends pretty badly. And not because the show's bad, but rather it just doesn't end well for anyone, really. Oh, dear. Um, But yeah, that's the non-spoilery summary. Um, Mixed, of course, in a lot of trigger visual flair. Like, I'll tell you now. I never used the Sandivistian implant in my two playthroughs of Cyberpunk 2077 because I thought it sucked. It wasn't <laughs> interesting to use, even though a reflex booster on paper is like the most cool like implant you can get shot of like, you know, I don't know, laser eyes or something. But I never used it because it didn't look all that great in the game. It looks fantastic in the show. Such a dope visual effect that they do of uh, just showing kind of every frame of his like uh like an after image but the after images never fade away while he's in uh witch time bullet time sandivistian time it looks rad yeah D- david is constantly telling people nothing personal kid and it looks great while doing so absolutely just tell the point behind him but yeah that's my non-spoilery summary of that um i will also say on the non-spoilery element um the story of this show is referenced in the game now, you might think that's Ooh. a bit of a paradox, given this came out afterwards, but there was a patch that added a quest in that referenced uh, the video game. I'm uh, sorry, the reference the show and the events of it, uh, where V like learns about David's story. Um, I'm going to be blunt. I am not going back to play the Cyberpunk 2077 <laughs> to play that quest. In my opinion, it would have been better if they'd left well enough alone and not had the story of David be referenced by V in any way, shape, or form. Because the entire point of something like Night City 
um, or indeed other tabletop role-playing games that deal with cyberpunk, like, say, Shadowrun, is that all of these stories are, generally speaking, very discreet, very self-contained, because that's the cycle that they live in, of people rising up only to burn out so quickly as they are consumed by, like, the violent culture that they live in, and the fact that corporations are almost monolithic and godlike in their power. And if you think I'm being overly, like, you know, I'm over-exaggerating it, in the story of the video game, Arasaka's headquarters are nukes 50 years beforehand in, like, in the past of the video game. Like, in 2020-something or another by Johnny Silverhand. Spoils for the video game, don't care. Because not... <laughs> Doesn't, but whatever. Uh, and guess what? They're still around in Night City and they're still functioning. He literally blew them up with a nuke and it didn't matter. So I'm not exaggerating by the games and the, and the fiction's own like events and lore that yes, corporations simply just won't be fucking dethroned or taken down. I think it was Ursula K. Le Guin who once said like, you know, that capitalism could be defeated in the same way that like the Divine Right of Kings could be. It's just not a natural law. And I would say that she's right, but I think it's just going to take a lot, a lot more effort, much more monumental effort to do than that, shockingly enough. But I bring that up just because I think that's a lot of the point of cyberpunk stories in that they are discrete slices of an individual's lives and how they briefly make a change in the world, but don't ultimately like make lasting paradigm shifts happen. Mm. And so I felt, I thought, no, I don't give a shit about, um, like the quest and all that. I don't want to go play it it's pointless um, Adam Smasher is in the game <laughs> I will spoil ahead of time for the game that he is the game's final boss believe it or not oh my god yeah that's right I'm okay. going to talk about Adam Smasher later uh, I want to now bitch about fandom again for a moment um, before we start getting in sorry go on. okay okay uh, well I just didn't want to forget I've I've got a few you know, in, in terms of like our recommendations for, for, oh, we'll come back to that in a moment. I've got trigger warnings. Uh, well, I mean, you know, they're a good studio. They're not that bad. <laughs> Content warnings, so, I'll, I'll say. So, sorry, I had to get that. I, I just want to get this out here right now. Someone, some, I remember reading a comment somewhere, and I can't remember where this was, but it stuck with me like a, like a, a splinter wedged in my skin ever since. Um, of someone saying that because of what happens in the show, you hate Adam Smasher more in the video game. And I want to point something out to you. Cyberpunk 2077 is a role-playing game. If V has absolutely no knowledge (laughs) of who David is, and certainly didn't until the show came out, because again, that's how the order of, like, you know, things happen in real life. The anime did not preclude the video game. Um then I don't mean to be funny here, but why should V care about Adam Smasher more than he otherwise would because of what happens to David? Do you not understand how role-playing games work? (laughs) And uh, more to the point, if the game can't make you give a shit about Adam Smasher in its own story, that's the game's fault. I mean, I know that games get patched and all that, but patching it by making an anime to f- shore up its own faults is a bit extreme, in my opinion. Fuck's sake. <laughs> Honestly, like like I say, I hate, I've decided I hate fandom, generally speaking, because I just find there's so much, like, stuff like where it seems like they just miss the most basic things. I don't want to make myself out to be, like, you know, better than other people, but, like, for crying out loud, just just think about stuff for a bit a bit more, you know, Try to like, yeah, 
yeah, loud loud parts of fandom can can be annoying for sure. Shit, um, shit rises basically. So that's not sh- yeah, not not cream uh, unfortunately. I, but no, I mean you're 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 right. I mean maybe they're just talking about in terms of like personal player motivation. Um, but well, that but, make, that whatever. just makes that just makes the video game a bad RPG in my opinion. If they can't if they just if you can't distinguish like how you want your characters to act versus yourself. To me, like RPG should make you feel like you're the actual character and trying to yeah. like role play. Anyway, I, I don't know. That's not, I mean, that's that's not that's not CD Projekt Red or, or Trigger or anyone else's fault. It's just people who don't have any media literacy. Just so because they're called role playing games, does that mean you have to role play? Well, shouldn't they Sorry, no, I'm just fucking with you. Um, <laughs> I, was gonna, I was about to say, Jesus <laughs> Christ. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just messing with you. Um, okay. Uh, so, it, it, recommendations on the show. I mean, I think in all likelihood, if you're listening to this, you've probably watched the show because, you know, if, if anything, uh, if, if the Netflix sort of algorithm and the amount of press the show's gotten everything is anything to go by. Uh, it seems like that this show is, is a pretty huge hit. Um, it, it, there's no plans right now for a follow-up. And I read that if they, if they do a follow-up, it's not going to be connected in any way to this story, but, um, I'm okay with that for the reason, for similar reasons to what I said just before, actually, like it should be a discrete story that does different things, but in the same world, Night City is a big place and a lot happens in it. Absolutely. Could could not agree more. I I think that'd be the right move if they do a follow-up, which, you know, the world we live in and all that, um, could, you you could easily see it happening because of how well this show's done. I mean, my daughter's friends are talking about the show and this is a show I will not let her watch because, uh, Uh, I was about uh, to bring everything I'm about to tell you, like, uh, the show is, uh, very gory. Um, and I think that there are some anime that are gory in a way that I don't want to be crass, but like can be a little bit sillier, like, uh, you know, trashy OAVs or whatever. And you're just like, haha, like this is just over the top and it is over the top I mean, people's brains getting splattered. But like, there's a real, there's real body horror, uh, and also psychological horror going on in this show. Um, I mean, some stuff happened like, uh, like giant gun turrets, like pop out of open wounds. And I mean, there's a, there's a dude like Faraday, Faraday, by the way, very triggering for me personally, just to look at him. Cause he has three eyes stacked on top of each other on one side of his face only. And that, that amount of eyeballs asymmetrically on asymmetrically on a huge, like it, it really just it bothers me so much like and not in a like complaining way but in a like i really get squicked out like i had a dream about this like 15 years ago and i have never forgotten it someone's eyes were exactly like that and it just it's horrifying um, yeah there's there's a lot of also nudity and sexual content in this yep 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 a lot um, of naked cyborgs walking around yeah and that's the thing that i think i wouldn't call it necessarily jarring so much as just unusual because this is trigger we're talking about and yeah you know we, we've all talked about like the fan service and kill the kill and all that but like there is no filter on this show whatsoever there was at least a filter on kill the kill well that if was made for, for television a, this was not made for television that's also admittedly true if you're looking for a comparison point or like a 
standards agree this show against. If you've watched either The Boys or Invincible, that's the kind of level of violence and gore we're talking about. It's it's very, uh, very it's a lot. Not just blood, TV. but yeah, severed parts. Um, not to be too graphic, and uh, this I find also the cyber psychosis, the visual effects they do with uh, the eyes kind of glitching around the screen, where it looks like there are multiple eyes, but they're just kind of like popping all over the place. Like that effect, I also found very disturbing. So, um. You know, if you were like me and things like this sound um, to be a lot, just be prepared uh, that those sorts of things are are in there. Um, and, you know, and then there's sometimes they don't like they don't go all in on the the surgery whenever David is getting his set of Easton. Uh, but what they you know, what they allude to is, uh, you know, uh, it, it's. <laughs> <laughs> they're screaming and there's blood dropping out of the camera, you know, there's stuff, but, uh, but anyway, just wanted to put it out there before we started talking about the show in case anyone doesn't know, uh, that stuff is there. The TV MA warning is there on Netflix and it'll kind of give you a little bit of a rundown, but I, w- I want it to be a little bit more detailed if we could. Yeah. It's also worth noting that you can get a very good sample of what the rest of the show is like, save the sexual content in the first maybe two minutes of it. So you'll know immediately if you if it's right for you or if, if it's not. It's not one of those that sneaks up on you later on. It is full frontal, no pun intended. Hey, Gundam Unicorn, when did that, that crossover occur? I, I think it was just a copy and paste error. Yeah, okay. No, uh, okay, you ready to get it? So would you, would you recommend this show and to whom? I would. If the content warning we've just provided has not uh, dissuaded you, and if you have any source of affinity for, say, something like Cyber City Oedo, which I also watched recently, uh, which is fucking brilliant, um, or any source of like classic cyberpunk of both Western and Eastern, um, I mean, if, you, if you've read Neuromancy, you'll like this, for example. <clears throat> if you've if you've watched Blade Runner, you'll like like it ticks all of the cyberpunk storytelling checkboxes in my opinion i don't think it's flawless i think there's an emission that was made from the text of the show that will tie into the thing i said before about mike pondsmith going on reddit to clarify something Hmm. um and the fact that the clarification had to be made on reddit i think really speaks to you know the fact that it should have been in the show but i'll explain that when we get to that point interesting i've not seen this i'll be interested to hear about this uh, I will definitely get into it because it will lead into what I'm going to describe as a girl's last tour situation where you can take two different interpretations of the text away depending on how you look at it. But because of Mike's comment, there's actually only really one. But I'll, I'll get to that later. That's that's for a different section. Um, the action is great. Um, you're not going to get bored of it. It's classic trigger stuff, but with the, I say, with the filter taken completely off, uh, designed for a streaming um, service, a streaming environment. The character work is pretty solid, in my opinion. David and Lucy, the two main characters, are really well handled, really likable. You really do root for them. You feel bad for them. You want to see them succeed. Um, And they also... I'm sorry, I'm getting tired. Like, they... They also, like, I think, keep it a nice pace as well. It's only 10 episodes. 
Um, that can be a bad thing, depending on your perspective, which again, I'll talk about. But- Some fun supporting characters as well, like Rebecca. We talked about Rebecca so much fun. Oh, Rebecca's great. Um, if you played the video game, this is the easiest recommendation of all because it has a superior story to the video game, in my opinion. <laughs> now, I'll be fair, I thought the video game story was good, but flawed. This is pretty good, but flawed. So you can see the distinction there. Ah, uh, higher tier. Um, yeah, but if you if you like the game well enough, then you'll like this even more. And if you didn't like the game, I'd still say give it a shot and maybe it will redeem it in some way or maybe make you like it. Uh, or like you'll like this material anyway because it's just solidly written. It's a solid show with some great visuals by Trigger, and I think that that's probably what I'm going to remember most about it. Not so much the story itself, because it's more those which I think is pretty good, but I'm not going to remember down the road, if you know what I mean. Sure. But the visuals are something I'm certainly going to reference in the future. Like, there's a lot of things that this show made look cool and awesome that the video game could not. And considering the video game is pretty technically demanding, that speaks volumes. Like, there's something about art direction in this anime that is just so vastly superior to the actual video game that I think to myself, like, how did this happen? Why couldn't the video game have been this interesting? Why couldn't it have been this cool to look at? Like, I talked about the Sand of Easton, for example. I never used it because... It was dull and uninteresting. In this, it's awesome. I'm sure people will probably rise in and give me long screeds about like the builds they use. Like, oh, I used the Sand of Eastern with this particular stat allocation, this weapon, and it was amazing. And you have no idea what you're talking about. Like, you know what? You can pop that to my burner email account. I'll read it eventually, I promise. Maybe. Not really. <laughs> but yeah. E- easy recommend for people who like Cyberpunk, people who like Trigger, people who like Cyberpunk 2077, the game. Um, just don't get, just be careful of like the content warning, of course. Um, I still prefer classic 80s and 90s Cyberpunk anime, like Oedo, for example, or stuff like, say, Bubblegum Crisis, or um, Dirty Pair, even. I think there's an edginess to those that I think, or at least some of them anyway. Or like, I, I can't quite put my finger on it. I think it feels like because they were written and created on the cusp of the future, whereas we are now in the future and 2077 has been made and it doesn't feel like it's almost... It feels too close. I don't know if that makes any sense, like, though I'm trying to say here. Um, because there's not as much distance between what we perceived as the future um, now and in mm-hmm. that. Yeah, I think I get what you mean. That there's I mean, we, just we, something missing I, for you. Yeah, a certain je ne sais quoi. Like, mm-hmm. in, like those shows I mentioned were made around the time that computers were really rare or relatively rare and certainly not to the standard we have right now where like things like the internet didn't really exist. But now all of those things exist. So it makes the future elements of, of Edrunners and Cyberpunk 2077 in general feel a bit more mundane. I don't know. But yeah. what it's actually about is still pretty solid and pretty timeless. So we'll get to that soon. So... Yeah, easy recommend all around unless you're squeamish. Yeah, I think this is a really a, a good show, an interesting show. My back of box quote would probably be something like it punches as hard as anything Trigger's ever done, which is not to say it's my favorite Trigger work again, but, but I would put it in the upper tier. Um, and, and I think, yeah, I think there are parts of it that 
that shine really brightly in terms of the action. There are certain episodes I found just totally devastating emotionally. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, it's a really, really well done show. Um, it's going to be, I'm going to talk later about sort of the things, the kind of main element that I probably will remember about the show, which, um, funnily enough, uh, is not the visuals, you know, or, or maybe if the visuals are one, then what I have to talk about is, is one a, uh, because I, I really do think, um, highly of the character work. Um, as you said, I, I agree that this is not, this is not a flawless anime. There are issues um, in in the storytelling, uh, and and we will get into that. But I do think it's interesting because, in some ways, this feels like something that re- old anime fans are going to like, you know, because it does remind of the hyper violent OAVs of yore, the the Oshiaki Kawajiri stuff like Oedo, like Ninja Scroll, uh, Wicked City, etc. In terms of the the level of violence, kind of. Uh, unfiltered gloves off on display. But it also feels like, you know, it's very kind of trigger and trigger to me feels like a very modern studio in that like, it's not very cynical. I think Maishi really wears his heart on his sleeve and as sort of as bleak as this show can, can get at times. I do, I, I would not label it as this totally cynical thing about the future or humanity or whatever. There's something Um, more, more to it. So I think like both old and new anime fans can really find something to, to appreciate in this show. And thus I think, you know, it's going to appeal to a a lot of different people. Yeah. Because the message I think this show has underneath it is still timeless and will be forever. Really? Um, there are certainly works that have done this message better. And I'm not just talking about cyberpunk ones, I'm talking about general works. Um, and it's a very broad message at that, but it still works. Like Inferno um, Cop. <laughs> Inferno Cop has oh, done this message oh, yeah, ab- <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. Okay. Um, but yeah, easy easy recommend. Totally. Oh, I, one other thing I'll mention. It's also, I think, worth watching if you have been a trigger aficionado just to see how different it feels. Because, like I say, working under contract with a lot of the story ideas being presented to me, even if they did storyboard and scripted themselves, it gives this work a very different flavor to their existing stuff. And just beyond like the fact that also they don't have to worry about censoring the violence, for example, or mm-hmm. hiding boobs away, you know, and in, in, in even practical costumes. There's no no need for any of that nonsense. I do it, agree with you. I, I agree. I think like that it does operate on some of the so, same frequencies at times as like a like a uh, American graphic novel might. Yes, hence why I brought up the boys and um, Invincible Four as the kind of violence depiction you'll see because, of course, very different works certainly, um, but that's the kind of level of gore um, and action you would expect, and. I, going back to my point previously, I don't want Trigger to stop doing their own thing. As much as I said, like, I think they're bad at optics, I think when they hit the mark just right, um, they do really still produce amazing stuff. I mean, I still think Kill the Kill is fantastic, despite its issues. I think Promare's Promare. great, despite its issues. <laughs> Promare has issues, unfortunately. But, I mean, like, their shows, when they're 
good. They're great. And there's nothing quite like them out there. Yeah. Gurren Lagan. And- I'm still counting as a trigger show. You can't stop me. Yeah. That's fair. And yeah, I can't help but wonder that by having worked under contract doing this, while they produced a competent, engaging show, it's not really their entire like handiwork around it. It doesn't have their full thumbprint, their full authorial stamp. So I don't want them to stop doing that. But it is refreshing, given that like the last trigger show that you and I covered being Brand New Animal, which I hated, <laughs> where it feels like with a little bit of reining in, like they really, really just made it solid. Because it's I don't true. think there's any like I don't think there's any sketchy political elements in this or things that like feel like where they didn't didn't think it through properly. Um, which is not something that can be said for the actual video game, funnily enough. Uh, there are definitely things in that where the creators didn't think things through properly. Whoops. <laughs> the advertising is one of them, and the romance routing and side quest is also another one, where if you want to be in a queer relationship in the video game, you have to put in a lot more work to get the quests unlocked to do that, whereas the heterosexual male, well, the, the male-on-female heterosexual romance is a lot easier to unlock. It's a bit silly, that. I think that's something that Tim Rogers brought up in his review, actually. Um, so yeah, uh, it's a very different trigger beast, different trigger animal, <laughs> but I'm glad that they gave it a go. Um, I'd be curious to see if they can do more stuff under contract, but also I want them to continue making their own thing. I don't want them to now just simply settle into being work for hire. I don't. I don't. I, I wouldn't think that there's any danger of that, right? Because we have, uh, at the very least, we have Mark Gridman. Uh, coming that's out. true the um, the new movie um i don't know what else they have on the horizon but no i see what you mean i mean because you know the star wars and the cyberpunk are i think the most recent stuff they've made but surely i mean surely surely that won't happen they'll they'll continue making making their own stuff i would hope well it says they it says faraday says in the show though people or someone else says in the show people go where the money is and there's a lot of streaming money that's being thrown around by Netflix and companies, so who knows? I can hope anyway. I think we have some Discord questions. I think you're right. Okay, let's take these away. So we have one question coming in Wait, from uh, Johnny. Before we do that, we need to do the spiel. We need to say, hey. Oh, hey. yes. People are asking Discord questions. There's a Discord? That's right, there's a Discord. There's a Waterway Death Show? discord and if you would like to be a member uh you can head on over to co-fi.com slash what do we desho that's w-a-r-u-i-d-e-s-h-o-u and uh drop us a donation of uh any increment and then you will unlock the discord achievement you'll be able to join in and ask us questions of any stripe about the show that we're covering and uh, we have to answer it on pod. And plus, there's all kinds of other. There's great little community of people where we talk about all kinds of things. We play games together. We watch anime together. It's great. Uh, totally worth uh, dropping a couple of quid on. Absolutely. And just to translate that for the uh, the net teens, the net runners amongst you, um, there at Tombs, there is a free oh, deal right there for you to get on. So our Discord, don't be a gonk. Put some money this way. Just a now. few, a few eddies. eddies. <laughs> yeah. Send us a few eddies this way, please. Um, <sighs> sorry. I I'm sorry, I couldn't resist. I couldn't resist. Not Nova, <laughs> Shadon. Not Nova. 
Nova. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, anyway, so first question comes from Johnny Rackham. How do you feel this show compares to other cyberpunk shows and movies, such as the similarities and differences you see in how it approaches or handles their respective themes, action, uh, slash violence, storytelling, and characters? I touched a little bit on this before, where it feels very classical, like, okay, person down on out, like, wants to become, like, you know, well-known mercenary, legend, uh, self-sufficient, has a thing has a thing to prove, a chip on their shoulder. Um, I will say that I think that tying back into um, what I said in the Terminator podcast, a lot of what that those two films were about was the encroaching sense of, like, the world getting colder. Do you remember what I mentioned, like, about, say, yes. Kyle, like, you know, being in the, the junkyard and all the machines around there that was constructing new buildings, and they reminded him of, like, the future robots, mm-hmm. and then, of course, his relationship with Sarah... Uh, and then going on to the second film, the sense that we were fighting fate, like, you know, that we could stop all that. I I think that a lot of what cyberpunk is about, beyond the surface elements of, you know, it being cool, of things like ice and net running <laughs> and corporations and tech shop guns and, you know, all that sort of stuff and, and reflex boosters and tombs. Sorry, I, I will stop. One, one, uh, one thing, I, a trope I do love from cyberpunk is... Uh, what are they called? There's like pistols is basically one shot and then they overheat. Oh yeah. Love those. Yeah. Those are always good fun. But I think one of those, uh, one of the themes that's common to all of those is that it's important that we give a shit about each other. And if you think again, I'm over exaggerating here, that'll come into a point I'm going to get to later. But a lot of what happens in edge runners is about David and Lucy. Um, David specifically losing his mind, his sanity slowly being shaved away as he gets replaces more and more of his body with artificial components. Spoiler um, time, by the way. <laughs> oh, oh, absolutely. To the point where, as he risks finally becoming a, a cyber psycho, the only thing that can bring him back is not drugs, it's not medicine, it's not having those implants taken away, it's Lucy's presence and her literally staring into his eyes and pulling him back from the brink. Which sounds corny as hell, like when you just write it down on a piece of paper, but in the context of the show, I mean, this is such, it's such a trigger move. It's, it's so like, here's my heart in my hand beating, (laughs) take it, you know, kind of thing. I love it. Yeah. It's right up their wheelhouse, but I think it's just true, generally speaking, of cyberpunk. I mean, Blade Runner is one of the most perfect examples of that. And the book it was based on, Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep, Mm. was about how the difference like you know between artificial and regular people and how regular people like the decade were losing their ability to feel and care for others whereas it was the artificial ones uh like Roy Batty who could that was the entire paradox in that film uh, even though Harrison Ford and uh I can't remember Sean Young um like as Rachel like their chemistry was absolutely dreadful even though they were supposed to like be getting quite tightly knit together but of course there's like the man who's lost his humanity and the inhuman or like the artificial person who has his humanity but feels it slipping away from him. So I think so much of cyberpunk is not just to say about like those cool surface elements. Under the surface, I believe it is about the fact that in a world that gets colder, in a world that gets made more of metal and concrete, of glistering skyscrapers, of desolate burning like wastelands and the... In- hypercapitalization of everything 
to the point where you can't even run your own laundry machine without paying it in your own apartment. You can't watch the um, show without paying yeah, a subscription that fee. <laughs> yeah. In, Irony. <laughs> in the in all of that, there is the fact that we should still, if more never, fight to, for the ability to care about each other and foster close relationships, whether familial, uh, friendly, romantic, you name it. Um, I think that also, like as a general core tenet of cyberpunk, and this ties into it being a subset of sci-fi as a broad genre, the question is not about, as I've said many times before, what makes interesting science fiction is not that you come up with interesting technology. Like, to take from Cyberpunk 2077 and Edge Runners, like, the Sandivistian, for example, that's cool, at least as presented in the show. But what makes it interesting is what it does to David and the price he pays physically, emotionally, spiritually even, for using it. Yeah. Yeah, he totally, I mean... The show sort of does set up like a, like a, there's almost like a cycle that uh, that people kind of go through, um, e- you know, even ones that are going to seemingly rise above everything, maybe like Neo. Right. Uh, it turns out. Oh, also, you were part of the cycle. You, you know, I I envisioned uh, that this would happen every so often and it's just all part of the plan. Um, like but doc but doc the matrix is real didn't an internet <laughs> personality tell you that uh i haven't got that memo so uh I, i'll be this is this is exciting though i mean i didn't i'll be excited to try to manipulate reality when i get home uh later today after this podcast is over do, do you do you actually know what i'm referring to here no no what do you recently? mean oh boy where the fuck do i even begin <laughs> is this something i should look up uh, on my own time no, let's just let's just get it out there, like removing like a a, a nail that's bedded in the mm, skin or something. I don't know. Um, yeah, so let's talk briefly about Logan Paul. <laughs> so Logan Paul was beat recently. Um, Professional wrestler Logan Paul. No, I wouldn't be that gracious. Um, <laughs> he's actually he, listen. He's actually quite good at professional wrestling. He's also a dickhead. So oh, I don't sure, care. Sure, of course. He could be a fucking nuclear scientist for all I give a <laughs> shit. He's still a tosser. Uh, but anyway, point being, uh, he was recently um, accused of rug pulling on an NFT project he was running, which uh-huh. whether or not he actually rug pulled on it, he was running an NFT project. So everyone, like, you know, there was like, I think, like things being like threatened against him and stuff like that. And so he started claiming the Matrix is real and it will come for you, which is now like the Matrix as a term has now been co-opted by the alt-right basically as um code for like deep state and shit like that um well they always have loved the matrix sex, you know red pill and all that bullshit yeah yeah now they've just gone sat like i mean sex trafficking rapist andrew tate has also been quoted as saying that as an excuse for his actions uh because it can't just simply be that they're awful people enjoy prison that's to be a m- yeah enjoy prison i hope he gets his fucking knees broken <laughs> And everything else. Anyway, right, that tangent aside, so joke explained, moving on. Joke explained. Um, God, was this? Oh, so, anyway, where I think I was going with everything was that, like, a lot of cyberpunk media, and I'm more familiar with cyberpunk anime than anything else. You know, I've read, um, I've read my share of Philip K. Dick 
uh, books and short stories. Um, and I've read some, uh, oh my God, why? William Gibson, thank you, brain. I've read a little bit of uh, Bill Gibson. Um, but I think the the memories of the anime stick with me more. And I, I remember that, I mean, they just feel just really oppressive, man. Like uh, Ghost of the Shell and, and Akira. They're just like such a such an atmosphere of uh, thick uh, oppression, <laughs> and like this show, you have that at the beginning, and you certainly have it at the end. But I think an element of this show that I found distinct and that I did find very trigger to be in a, a very cyberpunk project is like. There's some warmth in the middle of the show. You there's some family time. There's some like crew, like bonding, and like relationships are a focus of it, uh, and building the relationships and having fun character moments. Like all that stuff is in here, and that's what what I think makes the show like appealing to modern anime fans and not just fans of the old cyberpunk works. Because I mean, this show is not up its own ass like Ghost in the Shell. And I say that as someone who loves Ghost in the Shell and Mamoru yeah. Oshii, but it is very much up its own ass. Um yeah. But but this is this is kind of going for for different different stuff uh than that. Is there is there a cyberpunk property that you would compare this to besides the video game? In terms of how it felt? Um Does Shadowrun count? <laughs> uh, I think um, it does. Absolutely it does. Yeah, uh, I mean, also Neuromancer, just for some of its common ideas, like, again, down-and-out person um, meets a really cool, like, hacker lady. Mm-hmm. Um, Molly Millions was her name, if I recall correctly. Yeah. So, so yeah. That's a um, great name. But the, the stuff you mentioned, like, for example, about Ghost in the Shell, like, that's also about, as I say, losing the ability to feel and care for a people. It's about um, so many things. <laughs> Ghost in the Shell. It's about to- it's about the fact that Togusa, like you know, is just too hardcore to get chromed up. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, he wants to be. He, he he wants to be the first person to get shot. He's just almost asking for it. Um, but anyway, I will mention as well in the video game there are a number of side quests and just general quests that happen where you are having downtime of sorts, like you mentioned with the bonding moments. Uh, Judy, the character I mentioned before. You go on a scuba diving expedition with her to the flooded ruins of her old hometown to find something. Um, there's another character you meet named River, who's a cop, you know, uh, or like basically he's now a private detective. And you go and actually stay with his family for a bit. <clears throat> and you like play a, sh- a light gun shooting game with the kids. And it's actually a part of the FPS play gameplay loop of that. To the point where you even get an objective, a bonus objective, to let the kids win. <laughs> and so you're not actually fighting like cyber psychos that play of course you're just playing like a, a little video game with them and it's quite cute but it's a nice little bonding moment and so that's why uh although as i say i think this story is better it does share commonalities with its um with its cousin with its video game cousin and the video game cousin does address those moments of like the fact that hey maybe we should give a shit about other people and tra- cherish the connections that we do have because they won't be there forever yeah, this show does seem a little bit more um, sort of scared of technology than something like Ghost in the Shell might be. 
It's, um, it's Ghost- more scared of technology than the video game is. <laughs> is it Ghost in the Shell? I mean, like, there's a lot of cybercrime and uh, crimes of the future, but it's, it feels like it's very much treated like, okay, um, this is just sort of the n- new aspect of of crime and it's more mundane uh and it's something we can figure out and it's just sort of part of the world it's not like you know where here it just feels like um i don't know it feels like uh that the technology is this like super powerful addictive drug uh in in some ways um and i know like so many of the characters are not fighting cyber psychosis but you just have these three prominent leader type characters who sort of get on the loop. I mean, we see the end of Norris, but in the end of Maine, but you know, it just feels like once, uh, 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 David kind of gets on the, on the, the horse, so to speak of, uh, getting implants. He just, at some reaches this point of no return very quickly where he just can't stop. And, uh, he's hurtling towards self-destruction. And I mean, yeah. and I think that that's, that's like tied in with sort of how, um, kind of br- brutal that rule by corporation and kind of late stage future capitalism is. Cause it like forces people into these, into these places. I don't think too yep. many of the characters are in the situations they're in because they super duper wanted to be. They're kind of forced into into that life, squeezed out of it one fee at a time, one subscription at a time. So, um, yeah, I, I I will say from my perspective that I and I wish that there was a little bit more clarity on this. I don't think that what's happening to the a lot of the cyber psychos in this um, and in the game in general is because it's an addiction as in like um like stereo abuse i think rather from my perspective it's because they feel compelled to keep doing it to give themselves an edge over yes. the competition you're right I think so you're it's right. more an expression of it's more an expression of like rampant capitalism like when we talk about capitalism we don't just mean in companies capitalism pervades an entire way of life so and this is something faraday alludes to like fixers and mercenaries are an extension of a capitalist system and so in turn because they rely on money and need to be like, you know, the, the ones who get picked for jobs, they have to have things that make them stand out skills or talents, or dare I say hardware that makes them, you know, special that makes them stick out and be chosen for that sort of work. And of course there's the internalized belief of thinking I need to stick, I need to stand out. I need to sell myself mm-hmm. literally, I suppose. Um, like David goes as far as he does, I think, because he feels compelled to make like <clears throat> to prove a point. It's not because he's like physiologically addicted to the idea of losing his um his body parts in exchange for cybernetics. He doesn't want to be weak. Yes, and I think there's a very specific reason for him not wanting to be weak. Um that we'll get into at some point. That I will get into, I know. But uh yeah. But yeah, no, I agree with you. Um, that's a better characterization of things, uh, a fuller one. Um, Rackham talks about like the violence. Um, I think this is, uh, you know, of a piece. I think a, a lot of cyberpunk works are violent because it's sort of their aim to uh, kind of mask off uh, corporate civilized violence. 
that yeah. happens every day uh, to people like David's mom. And this is just sort of like a, 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 a get, maybe metaphor is too strong a word, but like you could look at all the hyper violence as sort of an abstraction of what we're all doing as slaves, yep. slaves to corporations, <laughs> you know, yep. to each other. So, yeah, that's a fun thought. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I will say, I was thinking then of Altered Carbon, another cyberpunk story. Um, and the violence in that, like, I when it happens, like, they talk about, like, these weapons that just turn people into paste and all that. And I also think that maybe the extreme violence is in part because if technology gets better at doing things and you apply that to weaponry, then no wonder the weaponry gets more extreme and more capable of doing the crazy horrific things that it does in like this show or similar works. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I think that that society that, uh, edge runners takes place in is, uh, at least the, the world and circles that David runs in is very much desensitized to that level of like cruelty and violence. You know, I mean, the first stuff in the show is like him watching, you know, snuff films and, he's doing all these brain dances and people are getting constant stimulation. And then by the end, you know, he's like, I don't even know how many people I've killed anymore. Like <laughs> I've lost count. Yeah. Um, and so I think that's also kind of another message in the, in the show uh, running through there. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Next question uh, comes from go, go type robot. There are lots of scenes in the show featuring nudity or sexual acts taking place. Do you think there's a deeper meaning to how these scenes are used in the show or is it simply for shock and titillation of the audience? So, I think in some cyberpunk works, but I don't think this is a common trait to all of them. Um, I think that the much as I said about like the idea of weapons, you know, progressing to the point where they have such extreme effects, I think that you could see the um, <clears throat> the provision of pornography, for example going to such extremes where it's just commonly accepted and also probably features a lot of extreme content in of it. Uh, that's actually something that happens in the video game, come to think of it. Um, not that you partake in it, but rather you find out where what happens to someone who was... It was It's pretty horrific, let's put it that way. Um, so I think that that feels like an, an extension of like, well, this is where things stand now. So our criticism of what the future will be like is what if it just got worse and there was no intervention for that. Um, but I think the other thing as well is to show, again, a kind of desensitization because, like, when we see, for example, um, Lucy and David hanging out and, like, they're both naked, for example, uh, it's intimate. It's nice. It's them being open, and it's a metaphor for them being open and honest with each other. It's a good thing. We don't actually even see them fuck. It's implied that we do, that they do, but we don't see it. But that's not really what's relevant. What What is relevant is that there is a level of sexual content that is intended to be intimate and meaningful. Um, but in the world of Cyberpunk 27, in the city of Nice City, uh, for a lot of people, um, it is just some a product to be consumed. It's not something to be viewed as meaningful or intimate. Now, that might I might sound like I'm starting to get towards uh, lines about being evangelical and all that, like, oh, religious even, you know what I mean? Like the sanctity of like relationships and blah, blah, blah. And Look, all I'm saying is that um, I think that it, we're not in the in the world right now where things are that bad as they are in the, depicted in the show. 
but what I think it's trying to caution against is that we don't lose sight of the fact that, you know, it's nice to have an intimate relationship that has meaning and romance and feeling behind it. That is a good thing to have. And it ties into the wider idea of, like I said, that being cyberpunk is not just about wearing the flashy jacket and having the ridiculously overpowered pistol that shoots lightning bolts and flechettes out of it. Uh, it's also about giving a shit. Caring about other people. Indeed. Having actual meaningful relationships. <laughs> so this question, I think there's... I think it all depends on the angle you're looking at it from, Gogo. It certainly th- does to me. Hey! hey. Uh, I think from an in-universe perspective, and they maybe be, you know, could have done a little bit better job at fleshing out this kind of theme, no pun intended. Um, the, cyberpunk a lot of times is like, you know, it's it's worlds where people are becoming more and more sort of dissociated from their bodies. And, you know, post-humanism is, uh, is kind of a big thing. It's been intertangled with cyberpunk fiction for a long time. And that, like, mm-hmm. you know, the the body's just your meat sack, man. It's just uh, it's just housing the real you in the brain, and it's like whatever. Um, and you know, if a lot of you is not actual body, but is just sort of chrome, then I don't know. It seems like, and you are sort of dissociating from it as what is essentially you, then. I think it makes all sense in the world for your populace to kind of care less about nudity and be more comfortable being nude in their own homes and stuff like that. Um, Or even in other people's homes, if they're doing a deep dive, for instance, (laughs) just have to hop in the bathtub. Um, I was going to say, I'm glad you clarified that for, whoa, deep diving. Oh my. (laughs) Yep. No, no. I I mean, uh, if you you want (laughs) If you want an example of just how extreme it is in, in Night City, there is like literally in the first episode a scene of David walking past a dude, like sat on a vent or something like that, and he's got a a cyber flashlight going. Yes, yes, with a VR setup attached to it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, and that's just happening in public, and no one cares. It's just so, it's just happening. Uh, yeah, a lot of the time in that show in the background, but. Uh, and, and again, this is because of, you know, the, the constant need for stimulation because of desensitization. Um, but so then the second part, the second angle you could look at it from um, also is that it is there for titillation because we, the audience watching it, are not in a cyberpunk future. We are in the present uh, and we are being, we are being shown, uh, you know, hot ladies uh, on screen. So, yeah. I mean, I, I think it's it's just all a matter of perspective, and I think both uh, can be true to varying degrees. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, second question from Gorgoy's Toy Robot. Cyberpunk stories very rarely have an, um, an unambiguously happy ending for the characters involved. Why do you think this is, and why do we not get tired of these endings? Uh, I think this is usually because people keep making sequels to films that shouldn't be made. Looking at you, Terminator <laughs> franchise. Um, and I'm certainly very excited. No, okay. All quipping aside, I think there's a philosophical angle to cyberpunk stories, um, which is because they're set in the future, they're warnings. 
they like they as i mentioned they like when it comes to things like technology or the way that people react to things like we talked about with sex and sexuality um the stuff that happens in cyberpunk stories is a extrapolation of present day trends as the writer perceives it and so it serves as a warning as to where we'll end up and so that's why the stories usually end either badly or bittersweetly because the world the the the, the people living like david um was never going to let them win. It's like I said uh, about when I was criticizing those people who had no idea about V's apartment in the video game. Cyberpunk stories are not about getting what you want. You don't tear down the corporation entirely. You don't reform the system. That's not how they work. You are cool for a hot minute in cyberpunk stories. And that's it. There is never any systemic change. Because it's too late for that. The systemic change that needs to happen is something that needs to happen in the present day of our time. That's why I think that they all work like that. They're warnings of a future that will come if we don't do something about it now while we still can. Yeah, I think you nailed it. I mean, I think this anime would feel cheap if it ended in a in a happy way. I think I think it ends uh in a really um satisfying and structurally sound from a storytelling point of view way um you know that last scene in particular i think is pretty poignant stuff um and yeah totally is meant to be this kind of this kind of warming this foreshadowing of like you know hey (laughs) um we don't want to live in this kind of world where uh, the system is so uh, pervasive that it it can't be, we're locked into this really terrible sort of, uh, sort of life. And, uh, you know, it's sadly like you, you mentioned this before when comparing 80s cyberpunk and 2020s cyberpunk, it just seems like we're, we're like, we saw the warnings in the eighties and we've just still been stepping towards that same starts <laughs> towards that same place. Yeah. I, I will state on the opposite side of things though, that I am very glad that the ending, <clears throat> which I suppose will spoil now to so not dance around it. Um, David dies. No. He is killed by Adam. He is killed by Adam Smasher. Rebecca dies. Which, that's the, that's the Re- real. Kid. Yeah. <laughs> also killed by Adam Smasher in a glorious fashion. Yeah. Fucking hell, like he... I'll get into Adam Smash in a bit, but I want to just say very quickly that I was in no way intimidated by him at all in the video game. <laughs> and yet the anime actually made him look scary. But anyway, mm. we'll, get, we'll come back to that. We'll come back to that. Um, so David dies, but very early on in the show, Lucy reveals to David that her dream is to go to the moon because she feels she can finally get away from well, basically the earth and the corruption of like the society that's on it. It feels like a fresh star. She has a, an almost like Soviet, like 1950s um, Cosmodrome poster of sorts. Yeah, yeah. You, know, uh-huh. you probably, yeah. And that ties into how she feels about it. Like it feels romantic even in a sense. I don't mean like, you know, like romance between people, but I mean romantic in the sense of like a future. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um. So what happens is that she is the reason that David is killed by the Smasher is he's attempting to rescue Lucy from being captured by Arasaka because she's a former Arasaka netrunner and therefore she is a security risk. 
Um, David has basically been saving up the money from the jobs he's been doing all throughout the series to finance the ticket for her to go to the moon. Um, so he give, he basically sets her free. And I'll tell you now, if it had ended with her dying as well, I'd be very, very sour on this show. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree. Um, I, but, but, but and this makes me sound like a bastard. If David had lived, I don't know if I'd have been happy with I it. I wouldn't either. either. No, 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 no. It's yeah. No, I think absolutely not. I'll just, okay. We're, we're basically at talking points, right? So I'll just, uh, play my card here and uh say that i think like the the romance between these two is like the thing for me in this show in addition to like the colors and the visuals like their relationship uh is and sort of the tragedy of it is is so beautifully structured and and done and there's like uh there's just a an old ye old tragedy sort of element to they're sort of working in parallel to accomplish these goals for the other one, but neither one of them wants them to do that. They would rather just split and be together. Right. So like David is, like you said, he's chroming up and he, he can't stop because he wants to protect Lucy and he wants to make money for Lucy to go to the moon. Um, because after Maine dies, he's really shell shocked and kind of the thing he's living for is Lucy and Lucy uh, on the job in which Maine died, found that Arasaka had some sort of plans for David uh, because of some data that Tanaka, this guy, had found on him. And she tried to cover it up, but she left footprints, basically, in in the net. And so she's now being tracked for that reason. And then, like you said, they find out, oh, she's she's one of these former old net explorers or whatever. So we got to... We gotta, handle her and they're both working at these different purposes uh lucy secretly from david to protect each other and in pursuit of those goals to like sort of different goals to like protect each other and and look after each other they both meet terrible ends and at the end you know like you said lucy's on the moon and she's like it's the moon and then she sees david and her eyes light up and then it's sort of a memory and then it fades away and she's left with just the moon. And it's like the real dream was to spend time with David and to be with David and to live her life with him. Uh, mm-hmm. And now she can't have that. And neither one of them can have that. And it's this really beautiful tragedy that I, I really, really like. I think it's really well done there. Yeah. There is also the image of the sun rising as well. The like street, like the sunlight coming across the moon's surface at the very end. So I think that you could infer that as her in time healing from it. It's not something that she's going to get over it like instantly, but she has a life. Like she has opportunity now. And I think that's also a very appropriate ending for David's character, because just to go back to his mother, Gloria, Gloria was a first responder. She rescued people who were injured. Is that not what he does with Lucy? She also sells, you know, illegal cyber parts but well yeah <laughs> no, but you know what just, I, you just know. To, I mean she has to to to, to live to have her son have a fighting chance yeah. but absolutely yes no i you're right they absolutely he he really is carrying on her legacy in that sense yeah, just of a just of a different strike mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But, but yeah i think that's why cyberpunk stories also just don't tend to end very well usually and on a, a smaller note just a little 
like more Solextra. I think it's also worth remembering that this um, setting originates from a tabletop game, which has that kind of coded, I would almost say, endpoint built into it, because I don't think any sane person would keep a tabletop game running onto infinity as long as they can. Well, <laughs> have you met oh dear. Grant the Thief? No, I'm just kidding. Uh, oh, dear. Um, well, thanks, everybody, for sending in questions. Thank you, Gogo and Rackham. Mm. Yeah, thank you very much, everyone. And as Doc mentioned before, if you want to pop some questions to us in the Discord uh, and also just join our wonderful little community of good people, good pals. I almost said it. Oh, my God. Oh I almost God. said it. But good pals, friends, and hombres, uh, feel free to pop over to co-fi.com forward slash desho and just drop us a quid or two. Um, and you're more than welcome to come and uh, hang out with us. All right. Talking points, talking points, talking points, talking points. I've got a small one that I want to get out of the way quickly, and I want to talk about the nature of what makes things iconic. This is a small one, I promise. So I'm going to tell you some details about the video game, Doc. In the video game, you can, amongst other things, get Akira's uh, Canada's bike from Akira. Okay. It's literally the same one, including the same labeling on it. Perfect. Not, not even a joke. Um, there is... You mean the bike from Punchline? Grind- no, I'm kidding. That's no. terrible. <laughs> anyway. Um, and there's a lot of like references to VTubers. I think Jesse Cox is in there as a character. Huh. Who's... Yeah, that's a thing. Um, can you get the jacket with the pill on it? No. God damn it. I'm 99% confident Trash. you can't, unless I'm misremembering. Um, I think you say one one reference. Simon. Gonk uh, brains is- over at CD Projekt Red, not including no, the, the pill jacket. There's, there is a reference to Portal. There is an AI construct that is voiced by GLaDOS, and I'm not nice. even joking. It's literally the same voice actress saying, I'm going to kill you, and then all the cake is mine, and so on and so forth. And when I played the video game, do you want to know what I thought to myself as all these things accumulated in my head where they were taken from either different films, TV shows, um, internet culture, video game culture, etc., etc.? Do you know what I thought of that? <laughs> Let me guess. As I went along? You, you thought it'd be really nice if instead of like paying homage to the cyberpunk of yore, you told your own story in a cyberpunk world. Yep. <laughs> Like, uh, so much of culture these days, like pop culture to me, feels like referencing things you know. Yeah. And uh, and it bores me to tears. I mean, to give you an idea of this, let's take Star Wars as a franchise, right? The lightsaber is iconic. But what's iconic from modern Star Wars? The double Baby Yoda lightsaber. <laughs> from- no, no. <laughs> ba- Baby Yoda, I guess, even though <laughs> Baby Yoda is basically Yoda. a ma- even though Baby Yoda is a marketing gimmick, <laughs> as far as I'm concerned, and the lightsaber is mystery box. Lightsaber is also a marketing gimmick. Mm, probably, I, I think that was before George Lucas went full merchandising demon. That's you're probably right. I think, yeah, um, but the thing is, like that to go back to the lightsaber. The lightsaber was created to serve a storytelling function first. It wasn't made to be cool specifically or cribbing from some. I mean, I'm sure people could play out lights examples of like light swords or whatever in previous works but you get my point it was when when it was first really codified into pop culture consciousness and it was done so unintentionally 
The video game, Cyberpunk 2077, does not understand that, but Edge Runners does. Because I'm going to point to David's jacket as an example of this. David's jacket is something he gets from his mum after she dies. It's her first responder jacket. It's a completely mundane item that otherwise, like, you know, wouldn't really be something you'd think a cyberpunk would have, but he wears it in her memory. It has textual meaning in the story. It's there to serve a purpose. Like, that he, you know, like, because he keeps mentos of his mother, including the picture of him and her at the academy and her ashes. We see that multiple times. And it looks cool on him as a mm-hmm. cyberpunk. But it's only ever was intended as a first responder's jacket. How does he still fit in I've, it? I mean, honestly. A dude gets uh, yoked and still wears it. Just maybe maybe fabric of the future is stretchy. He he went to the cyber tailor. Yes, exactly. Like Lucy, net, but, net run this jacket as, to be a size yeah. bigger. Hack the jacket to make it bigger, yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> But that's basically, I think that's just a neat little example of what it means to be, to create something that's iconic. Now, I'm not saying that obviously that David's jacket will go into pop culture the way a lightsaber would, but rather I'm speaking to the fact that the things that we remember in pop culture, the things that feel distinct, special, and interesting um, are usually those that are created at a 180 degree angle away from the intent of being noted. And I really, I find it exasperating looking back at the video game, having now watched Edge Runners, that it couldn't do things like that for itself. I'm sure people will point to things like, for example, Johnny's samurai jacket and whatever, but I've got a whole different problem with that, but I'm not going to elaborate on here because we're talking about Edge Runners, the show, and not 2077, the video game. But regardless, like, it's over-reliance on references to pop culture just soured a lot of my feeling towards its general cyberpunk vibe if you will mm-hmm. uh, and also just its own work of fiction because it feels a little bit like cheating i'm not saying you can't put these things in but i'm saying if you do so they should probably be used extremely sparingly and also with at least of some modicum of intent um there is for example a um what's the name of the fucking baby in the jar from death stranding <laughs> bb db bb db whatever um there's one of those in a in a like psychi- psychiatric ward, it's just randomly there for no reason other than hey, Death Stranding was cool. We thought, says CD Projekt Red. Let's reference it. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's get Grimes in to voice a character. <laughs> Form- yeah. Former Mrs. Great. Elon Musk. Everyone makes mistakes. Um, <laughs> yes, the like, shot as the, the I, mistakes I, of youth. <laughs> yeah, I, I could I could go on, but like I'm glad that it that. Like the show demonstrates how, in a small way, you can if you just try to make something that's unique to your own fiction, it'll be much more meaningful mm-hmm. and interesting than it would be just referencing all sorts of oblique shit. Yeah, that's like it Jesse Cox. Be... I'm sure is is a he's. I'm sure he's a lovely person, mm-hmm. but I don't give a shit about his side quest. I don't give a shit about his character, and I don't give a shit about him voicing the game. Yeah, he's in the game because yeah. people recognize him. He's not in the game because, like, he possibly was the best person for the character. In fact, it just literally is him as a, as a character whose dick is on fire. <laughs> Yay. Great. Yeah, those kind of references are Cyberpunk like... Cyberpunk uh, 2077. <laughs> those kind of references are like a, like a spice, you know? It's like a, a dash, you know, a, a, a small amount to add flavor. Not a, not a huge amount, and they're certainly not meant to be like the bulk of the flavor and the bulk of the dish. Um, yeah, you ideally want something that 
is more interested in in prioritizing its own narrative, its own contribution to the genre. And it sounds like the game uh, is not, and uh, and that's a shame. And, you know, like you said, nerd culture, which is now mass media, you know, popular culture, has been doing this even before that shit and everything that anyone ever loved got franchised over here. Anime. Ready player one. <laughs> God damn it. Uh, anime. That. <laughs> anime has been doing this for even longer than uh, American kind of nerd culture. Um, like in the early 2000s, late 90s, you know, people were saying, hey, this stuff is getting too self-referential and too kind of incestuous creatively speaking. Um, mm-hmm. we need to, to break, break out of this and get some different influences. And, you know, so this has been a problem in the industry, in this industry for a while now. And it's, isn't it funny that like the kind of big budget Western video game, admittedly Polish, but like not anime, right? Not the Japanese culture thing is the thing full of references. And this adaptation feels a lot more original and, uh, and refreshing. Um, now I'm not saying like I've seen everything made. Maybe there are a bunch of references and edge runners, but you and I have seen a lot of anime and, and there's not anything super overt. There's no Akira bike, you know? No. And the funny thing is it would have been the, I'm actually shocked at the fact that there wasn't the Akira bike slide reference in this. I know. It would have been the easiest. I'm not saying that I'm, I'm not saying I'm disappointed. It wasn't there. It would be too on the nose. Like, there's a time and a place for that. Like, if you're Kanamori, for example, from Aizoken sliding into the rain. That's <laughs> right, great. Right. But in here, it would have been a bit too much. It would have been a bit too on the nose. Um, but yeah, that's basically a textbook example of how you write, um, like, you know, iconic stuff by not deliberately choosing to write iconic stuff. And it's just a very unfortunate shame that CD Projekt Red did not take CD Projekt Red's notes in... Oh, wait, how does this work again? Oh, shit. Nah, never mind. Yeah, maybe they should have listened to themselves a bit more, I don't know, before cramming in stupid shit. Read your notes, CD Projekt Red. Do it. Um, Before we continue with talking points, we need to take another very brief timeout. moment of my afterlife and i'm not gonna let you ruin it with your stupid egg-shaped dick listen to me i am in no relationship i am neither single or taken i am a gamer and i am in hell do you understand me i rule this land welcome to the casino bitches (laughs) i want big slots big numbers big numbers big numbers (laughs) if you live in baltimore fuck you the institutional structure of the media is quite straightforward we're talking about the united states but it's not very different elsewhere the uh, 
the major, there, there are sectors, but the agenda-setting media, the ones that sort of set the framework for everyone else, like the New York Times and the Washington Post and so on, uh, these are major corporations, parts of even bigger conglomerates. Like other in corporate institutions, they have a product with, and a market. Uh, their market is advertisers, that is, other businesses. Their product is privileged, relatively privileged audiences. More or so less. They're, they're selling audiences to They're other selling privileged audience. These are big, business, big corporations selling privileged audiences to other corporations. Now the question is, what, would a ra what picture of the world would a rational person expect to come out of this structure? And then we draw some conclusions about what you'd expect, and then we check, and yes, that's the picture of the world that comes out. So my first talking point of the show, um, well, I've already done, you know, I did uh, the thing on on David and Lucy, talked a little bit about the body horror, talked some about the color already. I guess like I'll sort of talk about the one shortcoming of the show, in my opinion, is uh, I don't think it's long enough. I think, th mm. I think that the show like could use a couple of more episodes like two three and cover the same amount of material but i just think the extra time would help some of the more emotional moments that didn't land for me land better like there were times when you know i just had to g myself up my feelings up to get where they wanted me to go and i feel like i just i want the the show to reach in and grab my feelings and pull them out of me um, and I, I think some of it still did land definitely. Um, particularly, I think the, the main episode, episode six. Oh yeah. Uh, but even then, I think that that could if it even hit harder if the show, uh, just overall kind of had a little bit more room to breathe. Uh, you know, I think we've, <laughs> we've talked about a lot of shows that we felt are, or the pace is too. So I remember about Vinland Saga. We complained so much about the pace while we were watching it in real time. And uh, this is totally the opposite of that, I think. Uh, and it's not going to be a problem for many people. And I, it's by no means a deal breaker for me. I mean, I still think the show's great. Uh, I just think it could be even better if it had more runtime. Yeah. I've debated this in my head as to how I feel this. So I think you can make an argument both ways. The short runtime, I think you could argue, might be in favor of the pacing of the show, where it feels like everything just spirals out of control so quickly that as soon as David finds his newfound family, um, and Lucy for that matter, yeah. they're so quickly gone again, even though there is a passage of about a year in, re in time, uh, I think between the end of episode six and seven specifically, because mm -hmm. that's the transition point where we see David is now mostly cybernetic, whereas before that he was mostly human. 
So you can make an argument about the pacing side of it being quick to sell the tragedy of it, that it was just to rise so far, so quick, and always have it so suddenly and swiftly taken away, just like that, really sells how dangerous this world is. But I can also make an argument that, as with you, that there could be more episodes, only a few. I would have preferred episodes that showed, like, Lucy and David, like, they're hanging out together. Because they go between boyfriend and girlfriend, which is great. All that stuff's fantastic. I'm really glad that there was no ambiguity about that. We didn't just have a wishy-washy, last-minute, I love you moment where they were platonic prior to that point before Lucy gets whisked away to safety before Adam Smasher does his smashing. Um, and I would have, I think, like, you know, maybe an episode that was maybe focused on a side job that had no ties to the overall plot, where we mm. got to see them interact some more and have some more casual time together would have been neat. Granted, you can argue that we got an adequate amount of that with like her revealing the brain dance of the moon, for example, and that magnificent scene which used um, I really want to stay at your house. Um, yeah, that scene was great. That scene was great. But, oh, um, that, was, that, that was brilliant. The, the whole moon thing, I mean, you know, she was still like, she was deceiving him still at that point, even though we later find out like, her revealing that to him came from this genuine place of her kind of feeling comfortable and safe with him because he was so innocent. Um, it still was like, you know, I, I yeah, I like, I agree with you that I, I would love some more time of them together. Uh, I would love some more time with him, with the crew. I love some more time with, uh, with Maine and, you know, but at the same time, I mean, I hear what you're saying. I think that's a, that's a decent argument of, uh, kind of wanting to illustrate things falling apart so quickly. Yeah. And I can't say whether or not the the alternative would have been better or not in the end, but I think that if the point really is that like what matters is having meaningful relationships with other people, then spending time showing that mm-hmm. is important. I don't mean to say we need to see the two of them fucking, not at all. Well, but I mean what what does casual time that. look like? I'm just kidding. Well, well, well. <laughs> I kid. No, um, I know what you mean, though. But like, yeah, and I'm not advocating that they. I'm not even advocating the add a new storyline. Just take what you got and just kind of stretch it apart, pull it apart a little bit. You know, yeah. give us more, more of Becca besides her screaming. Uh, which is the yes. screaming's great, but um, you know, a little bit more Falco, a little bit more Lucy. Um, you know, maybe maybe a Rebecca some more focused main. episode would have been great, especially because I, I think the implication is that she has feelings for David. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Absolutely. So maybe something dealing with that, um, like something about her interiority, like you know, and how she feels about all this. Um, that could be interesting. Like th- there's potential for expansion with what we got. I think is the general f- rule of it. Um, but I I think that if you were to, like, I say I can see both sides of the argument. I don't think either are invalid. So it's going to be a your mileage may vary thing. Yeah. Um, but at least none of the episodes we do get feel wasted. Everything feels meaningful mm-hmm. and important, which is good. Um, right. I'm going to talk about Adam Smasher for a bit. Okay. Only briefly again, because I'm leading up to the big talking point at the end. But I want to reiterate, Adam Smasher in the fucking video game sucks and I hate him. <laughs> yes. And I, I want to explain why uh, and why it works okay in this show. Because Adam Smasher to me feels like he was dropped into the video game as a as a reference as a big like you know oh my god it's a character from the tabletop lore moment because that's what he is he's not an original creation for the video game he's a character from the history of the tabletop 
books. Mm-hmm. And he's principally the enemy of um, Johnny Silverhand. He is not the enemy of V. V has no real reason to care or to want to fight him. He just turns up at the end. And he's in, the, he's in a couple of scenes like in the early part of the game, but he only ever appears as like a boogeyman and never really gets directly involved. Even though, I'll, I'll just make this point now, one of the most egregious errors the video game makes is that the character of Jackie, V's best friend, Jackie dies, spoilers, um, at the op- at the end of what is basically the prologue of the game before Johnny Silverhand appears. But he dies from a fall because they get like basically thrown out of a building um, during a heist that goes wrong. Uh, Adam Smasher tries to intervene to stop them from escaping while Jackie's bleeding out, but his intervention is only brief and doesn't actually stop them. Why the fuck did Adam Smasher not be the one to kill Jackie? Because then V would have had a reason to want to kill Adam Smasher later on. It's so fucking obvious. But anyway, I'm bitchy about that to contrast that also with how he's handled in the anime, because he only appears briefly. He's in like he's mentioned in one episode as set up and then brought basically in episode 10. Yeah. But one, we get the trigger reference where he and um David are basically staring each other right in the eye, <laughs> head to head, which is a, I think has been a thing in Kill the Kill. It was definitely a thing in Promare between uh, Leo and um, Himbo. Firefighter man, yes. <laughs> You're yeah, right. him, Himbo. Yeah, like where they're basically like just head to like head foreheads touching, glaring at each other. It's been, you um, know, and the, it's been too long since I've watched Promare. I, I should watch Promare again. I know. I want to listen to the OST again, but the OST God. for some reason is not on YouTube. It's on Spotify, though. But anyway, uh, I involves going to Spotify. I can't that. <laughs> anyway. Um, so I'm going to quickly do a demonstration of like what I've said about how Adam Smasher looks stupid in the game. Uh, if you give me just a moment, you can probably hear the clacking of my keyboard. Yes, you're hacking. I'm hacking. All right. Ice. So I'm going to copy. This is like the first image that comes up on Google image search of Adam Smasher. Okay. In the video game. And I'm going to put it in our discord <laughs> chat where we're running this call on. I want you to have a nose here and just tell me if you find that intimidating in any way. No. <laughs> it's very sort he's of got like, looks like early Mass googly Effect. Googly eyes. <laughs> yeah, he looks like he's got weird googly uh-huh. eyes. Yeah. But the anime makes him look intimidating. Like when we see him in shadowed profile and he's mostly illuminated by red highlights when he's in the Arasaka office, that makes him look scary. It does. He comes across as a, a genuine threat. And moreover, he's also, I think, the perfect foil for David. Because in the end, David has gone full chrome um, and is going into a cyber psychosis. But Adam Smasher is full chrome, of course. He's a, basically a cyborg with maybe 2% actual brain meat left or something, whatever you want to call it. Um, but he's not a cyber psycho. Now, I think Pondsmith has gone on record saying that he's a high-functioning cyber psycho, but it, it, there's a level, there's a couple of things I like about this. The first of which is the irony that for all that Arasaka are pursuing David, they already have the perfect pawn. As far as a cy- as far as a psychotic like su- cyborg super soldier goes, it, there's something a bit odd about that, isn't there? But it, I, it, I like yeah. that fact. Yeah, uh, that's not criticism. That's me actually saying I think that's a good thing, like for the story, mm-hmm. and it, it'll tie into also what I'm going to talk about with David and his ability more. to stand so. They much want cyber more. Things. They want more because they're a corporation, yes, of course. Yes. Um, but also, I think it goes to show, like the uh, time with the futility element, because in a, a traditional story, 
the power of love would allow David to win through because that's the idea that we've discussed before mm-hmm. that meaningful relationships like, you know, are what allow you to handle so much cyber. Well, not cyber directly, but more like what is described as humanity. That's the actual stat name from the tabletop game, by the way. So yes. again, not exaggerating here. That is a literal thing. Um, so in a traditional like narrative, it would be the like feelings he has for Lucy, the care he has for say Rebecca Falco and his crew that would allow him to power on. And you can see like a, a scene like in Promare where something similar happens where the music swells ba, da, up and he just kicks the sh- ba, da, da, Yeah. 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 Gallon one starts playing mm-hmm. and he just well decimates Adam Smasher. Now obviously that wasn't gonna happen in the show because it's a prequel and he's the final boss. But then again you could have done some Darth Vader shit where he gets wrecked but then gets rebuilt. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Point being though, it's a I mean, it's a nice little subversion on that in that that ties into the overall cyberpunk bittersweet, like, tragic arc that Adam Smasher has no meaningful connections to anyone. He is a complete and utter, like, introverted psychopath who just joys in causing suffering and pain, and he wins easily. He's barely organic, right? Yeah, Mm -hmm. there's nothing to him. And so it subverts that kind of classic arc where David would win out in the end Mm -hmm. because he has passion and empathy and all that, and that allows him to, like, go the distance nope <laughs> so that's neat and so, and yet oh sorry go ahead you finish no 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 carry on i was gonna say and and yet it's like like we said if if david would have won it would have felt cheap but the, the fact that he lost in, in the sort of way that you mentioned and the circumstances being what they were is what i think makes me say that this is not a cynical sort of show that like it's almost like banana fish right like mm-hmm. David, yes. David and Lucy really did have something. And the fact that they met each other was, it was happiness for them. They were saved, you know, they were set on a different life trajectory that was probably, you know, it ended very poorly, but like they were kind of, they had this like meaningful purpose that drove their life forward. And, you know, I don't know. Um, it uh, uh th- there's just something uh sort of cel- th- celebratory is not the right word but like um just at the end of the show i wasn't left thinking like well everything's fucked there's there's nothing for anyone and this is you know this is certainly a cruel and bleak world but it still feels like there's something for for people in it i guess mm-hmm. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah. Oh, no, yeah, there's still something to live for. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, like that, I think that just again illustrates where this story zigs, where the game zags, where we have the same character and he is utilized better than he was in the video game, even though he's only really there peripherally at the end. And he's also so, yeah, cool. Just to... <laughs> he's also pretty. He's, he's, he's pretty he's, cool. He's pretty pretty intimidating. He's cool in this. He's not intimidating mm-hmm. in the video game. Yes. Not by a long shot. Yes. He looks like a googly eyed Humpty Dumpty, like painted with stainless steel. Oh no! And like I said before, V, the character, has no actual personal beef with Adam Smasher. Johnny Silverhand does. Mm-hmm. Fair enough. But it would have been simplicity itself to make sure both of them 
had personal beef with Adam Smasher, so it felt like him as a final boss made more sense than just, oh, he's a dick. <laughs> okay, sure, cool, whatever. Minimum, just the minimum amount of effort. That's all I fucking wanted. Anyway, I'm done with that talking point. Over to you, Doc. So I guess I'll talk about something that I thought could have got, gone really wrong, but I think Trigger and company really, uh, really towed the line. Um, I think the sort of uh, in in the early episodes when they were establishing the kind of world that this is, that the place that Night City is, and you know you had the the car accident, and you have Trauma Team step over uh, Gloria to get the guy in the limo who was the paying client. I thought, oh my god, this is this is really heavy-handed right here. Oh boy, <laughs> oh man, we're we're <laughs> in for something real ham-fisted, uh, and not not in a good way. Uh, and and not that I am opposed to anti-capitalist messaging in any way, but there's just better and worse and sloppy and elegant kind of ways of doing things and in stories and. I was thinking this was going to be not a great uh, execution of this theme, but the more I watched, uh, the more that I that I liked it. I, I liked that they did take the time in the first couple of episodes to orient uh, the viewer who might not be familiar with the cyberpunk universe, uh, establishing the kind of, of society that it is. And they didn't just do the trauma team and like, you know, ah, sorry, uh, here's uh, the urn with your mom's ashes. They did the little things too, like the, the law, he couldn't wear his uniform, you know, cause his mom didn't keep up with the laundry subscription. Um, mm. And when he went back home, he was, you know, his doors were automatically shut because he didn't keep up the rent subscription uh, or just rent. Uh, that's a, a, a redundancy. Um, and he had to get in through the vent. And just all those little little kinds of things. And, you know, it's, again, it was the show that, like, when I sat down to watch it, the first couple episodes, you know, first is that stuff we already talked about, the trauma team. And also, like, the very first shots are, like, him hanging out, at David hanging out with the Ripper Doc, watching snuff films. I'm like, man, this really is going to be just the old hyper-violence. And, uh, you know, but it just turned out to be so much more than that. Like, it, it had so much character. And good good character writing and uh pretty pretty good world building although again they were working off of a foundation um but still i think good world building uh still have to to show it to people that aren't familiar and i just think they did a good job and yeah i think i I was just so worried that it was going to be like a really corny kind of uh anti-corporate anti-capitalist sort of message and it was very strong but but as as it went um the kind of pervasiveness of how these corporations were had their tendrils in everyone's lives and um how desperate people were to uh advance in society or or escape from the corporation's kind of oppressive boot. Um, I just liked it. I liked it more and more as it went. 
Yeah. I think having a grounded set of characters, even in a world that is hyper-stylized and exaggerated, goes a really long way to selling the message. Because mm. they're the ones ultimately living through it, after all. Mm-hmm. And they're the ones who are suffering for it. I mean, if you want any evidence of that, just think of it, like, probably talks about, like, David and what he's going through. Um, let's also just bring up the fact that Lucy basically was turned into a corporate product. She was no different than a piece of hardware, so to be plugged in and disconnected as needed yeah. and disposed of and replaced as required. Which ties in, I think, also to the reason why she didn't want to wear um, a net suit or use, uh, or, or why didn't want to use a chair. Right. Just to explain, by the way, because the, the show doesn't make it clear, that the, when you do net running, um, especially deep dives like the kind Lucy does, um, your body overheats dramatically. Mm-hmm. You need cooling, like you a will actually, CPU. You will act- <laughs> Yeah, where you will actually set on fire if you don't have an external cooling source. So for cyberpunks, the usual method of doing that is the ice bath that we see. But in corporations, you can wear, or general commercial setups, you can wear a suit and be sat on a chair and the suit will act as a coolant. Mm-hmm. Uh, it will pump, you know, it's got cool inside of it, basically. Um, I love this which detail. Which I think is a neat... I love this detail. It's a great, yeah, it's a great little distinction. Um I think, and I think it speaks to Lucy's desire also to remain grounded. Yeah. Um, and also just because uh, part of her past as well that's still traumatic. Right. Okay. Um, other talking points. I'll bring up the big one, actually. Let's get this out here. Do you remember when we did Girls Last Tour? And we I talked about the idea that you could interpret a work one of two ways. Because I was thinking there was something to do with, like, the cuts, the little weird sausage creatures. Oh, And yes. whether or not they were human-made or not. Uh-huh. And I said that if they were human-made, um, then in the end, mankind is the architects of his own, like, destruction and the war will fizzle out. Or if they were an alien force, then only divine intervention can stop mankind's warlike tendencies. I think that was how it went. So I want to talk about David's resistance to, psych- uh, to cyberpsychosis and how he can have so much chrome pawn. Because this reminded me a little bit of... Deus Ex, specifically the Human Revolution and Mankind Divided games with the character of Adam Jensen, and how this is so much better than how it's handled with him. Um, he didn't ask but I'll for get this, into that way, just so you know. He- well, tough shit. <laughs> um, but I was thinking to myself, okay, it's never explicitly stated in the show, and you can correct me if I'm wrong on this, Doc, but it's never explicitly stated what that factor is that allows him to resist so much cyberware. No, they don't explain the it in terms of like his biology or or anything like that. Um, it just sort of the the way that I that that it came off to me is like it's it just just like a quirk, and he could think he he was special or whatever. But like you know, maybe like one in a hundred thousand people, one in a million people, like could have that degree of uh, of uh, resistance to the ill effects of. Uh, of so much cyberware. Yes. So the in the end, the implication leans towards it not being a genetic trait, but rather, again, due to the idea that I've discussed before of empathy and humanity. And this is something that Mike Pondsmith actually brought up, where he said that um, David had, if we talked about in terms of the role-playing game stats, he had a high humanity because he had a loving mother, a career path, and no more hassle than the average poor guy in a wealthy Ivy League school. Those are his words, by the way, mm. I'm quoting from the Reddit post. Mm-hmm. Um, so, in other words, humanity was what allowed, like, as a stat and as a concept, was what allowed him to have that. Whereas people um, 
who more easily slip into cyberpsychosis are, you know, less empathetic, generally speaking. In fact, the mechanic in the tabletop game is if you become a cyberpsycho, you get controlled by the GM, by the game master. Wow. The player loses control of their character entirely. Um, now, I bring this up because, firstly, I want to point out that Mike Pondsmith explained this on a Reddit post is all well and good, but this should have been more explicitly stated in the show. I disagree. I disagree. I I, okay. I don't I don't like that he explained this at all. I don't like. I don't think that you have to assign a material cause to something like this. I think it's just fine that it's mysterious. It's ambiguous. It's something that we can talk about as fans. We can have theories about. Um, but I think things like this, it's fine if they're not explained. And again, given this sort of like you know, mechanistic sort of explanation in uh, in the fiction. But that's just my, that's just well, my... Well, well, when I say that, I mean, he's the creator of the, of the root fiction that this is based on. So if that is his explanation and that is canon, it should be in there, if that's what it's meant to be. Now, I do agree with you, though, that ambiguity is welcome. And this will tie into my du- double meaning thing that I was talking about, because... If we disregard what he said, and we just assume that it's actually a genetic trait of some description, or basically some sort of nature element, then I actually think that lends a level of bleakness to the work that's not otherwise mm. like something you might necessarily realise. Because all of what happens in this story is about advantage and competition. Whether people have advantage in terms of their wealth, their hardware their place in society, if they're protected by a corporation, if they have things like trauma team insurance, all of those things. And so, in the end, if David's ability to resist so much cyberware and use the Sand of Eastian when it would otherwise kill someone else is just because of a quirk of his nature rather than nurture, then it actually comes across very cynical and bitter if you think about it. Because it wasn't down to his hard work. It wasn't down to his personality. He just had a, ha- a lucky roll of the dice when he was born. Mm-hmm. And that's true of so many different things. Like people who inherit massive amounts of wealth, for example, are lucky. Yeah. You know, we, how many times have we had fucking asinine bullshit articles about people buying their first home here's how they did it and it turns out oh i was gifted five hundred thousand dollars from my wealthy father you can too i guess <laughs> fuck off and so if that were true as well for david like if you took that interpretation it would make the work a lot more bleak because it shows that there are no real escape routes for people yeah only good fortune whether it be getting the sand of Easton dropped into his lap by chance, which does textually happen, uh-huh. there's no debate in that. Yeah. Or if you were to interpret it as a genetic thing, him being born with the ingrained resilience to uh, that, like there, like the myth of hard work sure. and blood and sweat and tears is dispelled. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that's a bad. It's not the interpretation I favor because again, I prefer the bittersweet one. Mm-hmm. But I think it's one you could certainly take. Yeah. Um, if Mike hadn't gone, oh, sorry, whoops, it is just a humanity stat thing. 
Um, by the way, this ties into what I said about Deus Ex. Mike, stay off Reddit. That, Don't explain things. You you keep your explanations. Keep your explanations for the tabletop game. We don't need them for the TV shows. I think there's plenty of reasons he should stay off Reddit anyway. <laughs> All I joking. I mean, just to point this joking. out, I'd like um, similar to this post. Why did they need to MRI my turds? Is on there. <laughs> I'm not even joking. R slash nursing. Moving on. Um, so to talk about Deus Ex for a minute, when I um, brought up Adam Jensen before, the story about him is that he has his entire body basically replaced with cybernetic enhancements due to a terrorist attack. And in the fiction of Deus Ex Human Revolution, people who have cybernetic enhancements have to take a drug called neuropazine every six months or so for an injection to stop their implants from being rejected. Mm-hmm. And as you might imagine, given this is in America, neuropazine is extremely expensive. Um, it's even mentioned that Adam would get his on the corporate plan that he works for. That kind of thing, basically. You can think of it as another kind of healthcare thing that really should be state-subsidized. Um, but, as it turns out, Adam actually doesn't need neuropazine because he has a genetic quirk that means his implants will never be rejected. His body just accepts them. Lucky. And that, unfo- and that weakens a lot of what Deus Ex Human Revolution and especially Mankind Divided tries to go for, in my opinion. Because they're about like how difficult orgs have it. Uh, orgs being augmented people with cybernetic enhancements. But how can you really relate to that if you're playing a character who has such an inherent massive advantage over people? I mean, Adam's augmentations are also paid for by his company and they're top of the line. That's why the more I think about it, and this is especially because Edron has made me realize this, with reflection, I don't think human, uh, like Mankind Divided and Human Revolution are really all that great cyberpunk stories because they're more interested in conspiracy and mystery mm. rather than dealing with the actual interesting issues they bring up. And because they position the player character, the point of view character, as someone with such privilege, it disconnects them from the problems that they're meant to be examining. So, yeah, I'm... I'm, that's why I'm actually glad in the end that David, I know this makes him sound cold, but he did suffer the fate he did because he was resistant, but not immune. He just went further. Yeah. And but I think to go on. To, uh, sorry. Go oh, on. I was going to say, I think for me, it's important to note that like he never like fully succumbed, you know, like uh main, and Norris and the guy that kills uh, Rebecca's brother all were like fully gone. Um, maybe you could argue Maine was like 90% gone, but like David really did just kind of flip back and forth. And at the very end, he's totally lucid when he only has one eyeball left and he's talking shit to Adam Smasher. Mm-hmm. I think that's great. Yeah. Absolutely. And then the alternative interpretation is, of course, that the reason that David um, was able to have so much cyberware and stay sane for as long as he did was because of his humanity, not the stat, but the concepts. And there's a bit of, there's a really like funny, amusing full stop to that. Mm. Arasaka, a giant, monolithic, heartless corporation, were after David for the unique trait that allowed him to resist so much human empathy. <laughs> and uh and it caring. turns out to be human empathy. Yeah, it's Isn't good. that kind of brilliant? Mm-hmm. 
the one thing that no wonder they would never be able to figure out what exactly. it was. It's something that they, as a, a like an all-encompassing like Uber corporation, <laughs> a gigantic hydra of capitalistic capitalistic excess and dehumanization, would never be able to understand. And I think that's kind of fucking genius. <laughs> I mean, it's yeah, it, it really is. I'm I'm glad you fully teased out this because I think it's something that I knew but I just couldn't articulate or tease out for myself like yeah this is absolutely hilarious that yeah they did so all of our test subjects are failing no one no human can can withstand this watch it's i'm, I'm reminded of that greedy skit when they're trying to <laughs> <laughs> i'm reminded of that simpsons skit when um they're trying to figure out the secret ingredients of the flaming mo and i can't remember what i think it's professor frank he says and the secret ingredient is love Who's been tampering with this thing again? <laughs> and that's but it's actually true in this, in a sense. And it's not it's not like cynical or stupid or cheesy. It's actually genuine. Yeah. Because we care because again, we're grounded in caring about the two lead characters and wanting to see them succeed. Yep. Yep. Very, very good. Uh, very good. Um If only the video game was as good if as only this. the video game. Uh, does it almost was, but that's a discussion for a different day. How does the video game depict cyberpsychosis? Uh, v doesn't suffer some cyberpsychosis, so it comes across as more just a, an unfortunate thing that happens to other people. So you just see sort of see someone rampaging around. They're basically boss level enemies you fight in the world. Uh-huh. Okay, yay! So like, yeah, so I- now you now I'm 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 sure people will split hairs me and say like, well, V seeing. Um, johnny silverhand all the time makes him a cyber psycho and there's mentioned like again on mike pondsmith's reddit post that the reason that v doesn't turn into a cyber psycho even if you get all of the implants in that you can is because with johnny silverhand's persona living in his head it kind of acts as a buffer right which sure cool whatever but do you remember what i said before about like the privilege of the player character uh-huh um with adam jensen same problem with v there mm-hmm. like if cyber psychosis is such a big fucking deal and it's such a danger. The fact that V doesn't suffer from it all, or if there's any implication of that, is a bit of an issue. And if you want to see that done right in a video game, do you remember when I mentioned Shadowrun? I do. So in Shadowrun, just to give you an idea, you can think of it as a cyberpunk setting, but magic is a thing as well, including like fantasy races. So there are orcs, dragons, goblins, trolls, all sorts of stuff. Elves, like wizards be all up in this cyber shit. That kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but in, in the mechanics of the game if you get cybernetic enhancements you lose magical ability a person who's fully human with no cybernetic implants has more spells available to them in a roster that they can select from than a person who's fully augmented like if you're unaugmented you might have six spells in your spell book that you can pick from if you're augmented you might have two maybe <laughs> but that's a trade-off mm-hmm. if, you know there's a, there's a thing to be said and it ties into story you can write stories around that you know yeah so that's one way that works i'm not saying it's necessarily bad in cyberpunk 2077 because the thing that v's goes through is very very unique but i didn't give us two shits about what cyber psychosis was in the world of of the game but i do in here because it's portrayed so well like you talked about like the eyes flickering and all that and the, the way that like they react the characters react to it and just how it's like david seems to be just disappearing inside of himself like to the point where he can't sleep anymore he's just got the television on not even to watch anything just so it's noise in the background 
Like, oh. yeah, it's it's like rough. I said, there's a there's a lot of concepts in the video game that could have been done better in the game itself, but the the anime spin-off is doing them so much better in a way that I just think, how could you have fucked it up so badly originally? But then again, they did release it in the most buggy state imaginable, so maybe it's all they did. They did. Um, yeah, I guess that was my next talking point was just to talk about, and you've already started introducing it, cyber psychosis and, you know, just how they, how they depict it in this, in this anime. It's, um, it, it's rough. It was rough for me. I mean, because certainly because of the whole, uh, the eye glitching stuff and there's lots of nose bleeding, mouth bleeding, um, a lot of reactions that other people see the character kind of undergoing uh, and they see them lost, you know, like there's a scene where like Rebecca looks over at David and he's just laughing hysterically while they're in the middle of a chase. Um, and, you know, they'll be talking to someone not there, but then this the anime, like you get to see inside their head and it's just so profoundly sad, uh, you know, because they're sort of, David and and Maine are like reliving these really kind of prominent moments of the, in their life and reacting to them. And, uh, it's, it's just, uh, it's, it's really sad. It's, it's brutal. And and then they kind of, you know, can come out of it for brief periods of time. And, and it's like neither one of these characters will get the help that they need. They both understand well before it gets to the stage of, of uh uh hallucination and and uh full-on psychosis that like their bodies are are going that way uh their hands are shaking you know they're sweating they're not being able to sleep like they know that they know the symptoms but for whatever it they feels, want to persevere. dare i say it feels dare i say like a microcosm of what it's like to live in a future civilization that strips away your humanity from you Funnily enough. Yeah. 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 And, and it feels like a profoundly threatening and debilitating issue rather than something that other characters have that's a boss makes them bosses, I guess. I don't know. And you see these people break down and like the response from the the state, the corpo state, is just to stamp them out, you know, immediately. And like, you know, the the way they're portrayed in uh in the anime is like the you know they're just on this murderous rampage or whatever, but ultimately they're just these people that, that need help. And they are people that are made that way by that, that are forced to make choices that, that lead them to this uh, path by the very same state. And so it is creating these monsters that it itself has to put down. Um, uh-huh. But, but the, just the depiction of it in the show, the psychosis itself is really something it's uh it's a lot. It's very intense. Yeah. It feels meaningful. It does. Crazy as that sounds. All right. Um, I only have a couple of small things to finish up with, so I'll keep these brief. During, I think it was a montage, you might have seen a character who looks like an old lady in the afterlife bar. Um, she's only seen briefly. She's never mentioned like by name. But her name is Rogue. Uh, she's like one of the um, like leading edge runners in the city, and she's a prominent character in the video game. To me, she looked really weird in the anime, <laughs> and I'm going to tell you why. 
because I have a feeling they were given a reference of what she looks like in the video game, and so they drew her like that, rather than drawing her from scratch to make her look like a more anime character. There's something a bit weird about that. But anyway, so that's one thing. The other thing I want to bring up, classic cyberpunk tends to f- have a lot of Eastern twang to it, an Asian twang to it, an Asian feel to it. That, that could be problematic pro- at times, I think. Yeah, because back in the day of, like, say, Gibson's Neuromancer, the fear was that, like, China, Japan, like, all these mm-hmm. superpower... Well, well, China is a, as a superpower in terms of, like, ma- raw power, like, manpower and such, and Japan is, like, a, a future techno state. Mm-hmm. Um, like, they were going to be the, the leading forces in the world. This is why you'll see in a lot of cyberpunk stories the idea that some sort of yen is the currency. Uh, in Shadowrun, the franchise I mentioned before, new yen is the currency for example. Uh, That's not the case in um, Cyberpunk 2077. But I do want to bring up that in um, Cyberpunk 27, the video game, Arasaka's Japanese origins are much more prominently on display. Like You meet a lot of the head family members. Um, Swords, of course, are a weapon that you can use in that. Katanas, like ones that have electricity on them and stuff. Um, And that stuff, to me, beyond the problematic possibilities that you mentioned feels very outdated because the corporations of today right like the ones that actually do rule the world not literally but in terms of like the sheer power they wield are companies like amazon you know mm-hmm. um or meta western companies so the the sci-fi of old didn't really understand like where we were going yeah. in the end. I don't think they could have possibly known. Yeah, Japan's so uh, economy actually, collapsed in the nineties. Yeah, the, just Google the lost decade and you'll see why. Um, so I actually think it's to the show's benefit that while Arasaka is in there, the Japanese and Asian elements uh, and iconography behind them is played down. Mm. Like you don't get like all of their soldiers, for example, are just people in body armor you don't see like the the like almost samurai like bodyguards not even use swords it doesn't fall into those tropes because mm-hmm. they feel outdated now relative to what the real um mega corporations of today actually are along as long with avoiding the problematic element that you mentioned as well so yeah i found it interesting they never really played that up uh, but I think it's to the benefit of the show that they don't agree irony being of course that it was made in japan so <laughs> I don't know how that works, but there you go. There you go. Um, I don't think I have any other any other talking points to get into. I think we covered everything I wanted to say. Yeah, I'm I'm done of them to say like it's worth a watch. Um, it's an impressive piece of work. It's better than the game it came from. Uh, it's embarrassing that it's better than the game it came from. Uh, but it, clearly, <laughs> it breaks the video game curse, and therefore, <laughs> stuff it, Last of Us. <laughs> you were beaten to the you punch. Are... You are. Um, yep, I think I think the show is is really really good. Um, necess- not quite, not quite the most excellent trigger, but but pretty pretty dang close, and definitely one that for one reason or another or, or another I'll remember uh, aesthetically or because of the the principal kind of relationship. Uh, an arc in there. Um, and I think, you know, if, if those content warnings, uh, that we gave did not, uh, deter you, uh, I think you'll have a good time. 
uh, a sad time, probably, but but uh, ultimately a good time. Mm. Yeah, I'd agree. Um, right, I suppose on that though, then we should start wrapping up. But I'm going to pass the baton over to you, Doc, because we need to let the you know the world know the slate of what's to come, what's next on our list. And I think you might have mentioned this when we did the Terminator pods. Um, but just as a refresher for myself and everyone else, what's next on the docket? Um, don't you have the the non-anime pick? We did Terminator last time, so no. Wait a minute. That can't be true. Uh, we did. Oh, man. We did. Well, you know what? You know what? I don't know what we're going to do. <laughs> I, don't, oh I haven't decided God. yet. <laughs> uh, so we've got, we've got non-anime media and then our anime. I don't know uh stay tuned you know sub to the discord uh look look out on twitter at watery death show uh or at the subtle doctor where you can find me pay to win pay to win the answer uh yeah i've totally caught off guard because yeah i'm not sure i'm not i've got a ton of candidates some i will message you about i think uh but yeah yeah we'll, we'll figure it out that we will. But yes, as Doc mentioned, get over to co-fi.com forward slash Warrior Death Show. Join us on the Discord to stay hot and up to date on the latest breaking Warrior Death Show news, like me ranting about my new job or other inane shit. <laughs> nah, it's all good. Like, the community's lovely, uh, and we're always happy to have more people come join us. Um, otherwise, I think we'll call it there. Oh, um, also... Doc, where can people find... Oh, okay. I was going to say, um, you know, uh, if you enjoyed the show... Uh, and you don't feel like uh, or can't uh, give us a, a support on Ko-Fi. Totally understand. Um, only do that if, if you want to. There's a lot of other ways you could you could support the show. Um, you can uh, follow us uh, on Twitter, YouTube, Twitch. Just Google us, and, and you'll find us. We're not on SoundCloud anymore, but but Spotify, Apple Podcasts is a great way to help our discoverability. If you rate and review our show. Uh, if you subscribe to us on Spotify or listen there, there's a poll attached to every podcast now, which basically says, or it just asks you like, what did you think of the show or did you like it? And we've had um, a very nice person leave a response already uh, on that feature. Um, thank you very much uh, for that. Thank you. Uh, you know who you are listening. Um, we appreciate it. And uh, yeah, uh, leave more. And uh, who knows uh, if we start getting uh, more of these responses uh, and reviews, maybe we'll read them. But uh, but yeah, I just wanted to let you all know that's a, a way you can also give us feedback if you don't want to, you know, uh, if you don't want to use Twitter uh, anymore or, or don't want to email us uh, and you've already left her a, an Apple podcast review or maybe you don't use Apple, uh, you could leave us um, uh, a little message there uh, on every Spotify episode. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, so, Doc, if people want to leave you direct feedback or otherwise, you know, uh, check out what your prime opinions are on things. No. Uh, uh, sorry. <laughs> That's the last one. Where can they find you on the uh, on the cyberspaces? Uh, what do they have to go past any ice? Uh, no, no, I am. I'm just open. Uh, you don't need any. You don't have to get in the uh, bathtub to, to tweet at me. I'm at the subtle doctor. Um, on Twitter, 
you know, I'm not as active as, as I once was. Uh, feel free to ping me. Uh, probably the Discord is the place you'll find me frequenting uh, the most. So uh, catch me there also at the Waterwee Show Discord. Yep. And similarly, you can find me at uh, Shaden1010 on Twitter. I am still active on there, despite every effort for the platform to make me not want to stay. But, you know, the when Elon Musk decides to give us the gift of endless entertainment at his own expense because he's a fucking idiot, uh, how can I not watch? I'm like... The, I'm not the person playing the violin as the Titanic goes down. I'm the person just making myself comfy at the wine bar and trying to prevent all the bottles from spilling off as it tilts sideways. So, yeah, feel free to find me there and message me about anything and everything. Uh, and you can simply find me in the Discord as well if you want to chat um, on that place. But otherwise, yeah, uh, that's where you can find me and that's where you can find us. And that is us. That is the end of our Cyberpunk Edge Runners discussion. Um, to CD Projekt Red... Better luck next time, improve your working practices, <laughs> try not to make it so easy to people to point out, oh, how can you make a cyberpunk story when you're a corporate, like, you know, <laughs> conglomerate, like, amorphous entity that treats its staff like crap? <laughs> um, to trigger, I would say, well done, you didn't make me go crazy with anger at how badly you mangled your political messages. Try not to do that again. It, but don't forget they, what makes they've you got special. some momentum going they you know after bna they did dinosaur on uh and now cyberpunk so they're they're building up well, those are both that that's true but they were both work for hire i want to i want them to go back to doing an independent work where they don't make me think that it was written by someone on fucking 4chan mm. <laughs> let's put it that way so you've done well take the trading wheels off and try not to cock it up this time and to you, a uh, wonderful listener at home, at work, or wherever you may be catching this right now, I hope you're doing well. I hope you're staying safe in the early part of 2023, trying to avoid the insanity of our everyday lives and the fact that the economy is going tits up sideways again. Um, but yes, thank you very much for your time. Thank you for listening and thank you uh, for everything, really. We'll see you again soon with whatever Doc chooses to pick. Uh, I'm really hoping it's not something terrible like it's not a tom green film or something for god's sake don't oh my do god, it a tom green film. what a pull what did that i rest assured that will not that will not happen no adam sandler shit either for christ's sake unless it's uncut gems look at me i'm crazy newspaper face that's my adam sandler impression <laughs> i thought my adam, my adam sandler impression would be I just make terrible movies and film them uh, and bought them on vacation. Making terrible movies. <laughs> oh God. Right. But on that note, good night, everyone, ladies, gentlemen, MBs, take care, stay safe. And as we often say on this podcast, embrace your everyone to the NC universe in a bit tubes. Bring back the brothers. Matane. <laughs> <laughs>
Just a lie, just a lie. 